0: Look at the Boga Honey Podcast.
1: That's why I, I tried not to have camps on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like up. that. I'll just put a new string on there and you're
0: fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing you ever re- seen. Go- I am all about Just strap it to your pack.
1: Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. So you don't <laughs> want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that spot's taken can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Before we jump into this episode, we have to thank a few of our partners that helped make this podcast possible. First up is First Light. Great camo, Fusion, Cypher, you get to pick your option, or you can go that new ash gray color. Uh, they make fantastic merino, they make great stuff for elk hunting, Great stuff for hunting down south, great stuff for deer hunting by us. Uh, So we rock it all year long, we love it. Check it out, firstlight.com.
0: If you guys are in search of a new pack, then you guys have to check out the Seek Outside Short Tail. It's designed to cover three main uses, which are the Western Big Game Hunts, it's tree sand friendly, and it's great for backpacking long trails. And it can pack out close to 200 pounds. You could carry out a Jared. You can carry out one of me. If you want. Use the promo code BOGA, all caps for 5% off your order. Jared's sold separately. If you're looking to get into the tree saddle game this year, then you guys need to check out Trophy Line. These guys have been around since the 1960s, and they've been doing it ever since. We're gonna be rocking their Ambush light tree saddles this year. They're lightweight, they're comfy, and they're extremely easy to use for that beginner. Head over to their website and use the promo code BOGAHUNTING10 for 10% off your order.
1: If you're looking for a quality, handmade, Top of the line, traditional bow. Look no further than Bivouac Bow Company. Jim and Georgia there are excellent boyers. Handmade, custom, they are precise and they make fantastic shooting bows. If
0: you're looking for a great bow, check them out. BivouacBowCo.com. So if you guys are like me and you find that buying new arrows can be completely cumbersome and annoying where you have to go to the bow shop and have them cut your arrows and gluing the inserts then you guys need to check out vector custom shop all of their arrows are purpose-built meaning they're going to take your draw weight your draw length and a bunch of other specs that you want and they're going to actually make the arrow for you and then send it to you and they have direct to consumer prices so check these guys out VectorCustomShop.com. there are a lot of good apps out there but if you're a
1: hunter and you're looking for a do-it-all app, check out HuntWise. First of all, they have GPS software that tells you where you are, where boundaries are. You you can share locations.
0: But it's also a, a community of hunters where you can all share what you're experiencing. We'll
1: post there pretty regularly. Actually, that is where I have my only social media account. So if you want to see what's going on in my mind, go to HuntWise and check us out. Jared, introduce this month. It's a new month. So let's set the stage. This y- was my idea. This, this was your idea. This
0: month was my idea. This is all Jared. And it's quite veniently, <laughs> that's, my, that's my word I made <laughs> yeah, up, uh, conveniently right before deer season, so it's fresh in your head, yeah. it's meat month. Meat month. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so we're here,
1: and we're going to talk about meat. And this is a re- resumption, if we're making up words, of the past week's podcast with our same friends here.
2: Yeah, this is session two.
1: Session yes, two. Is. Do we need to reintroduce? Probably. No, they can go back and listen to the first yeah, one. Yeah, go back and listen. Download the first one.
0: Don't be lazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't jump around. <laughs> meat month. All right, Jared, what do you got to say about it? It's meat month. Yep. We're gonna be talking about how you process a deer. What are you looking at when you kill an animal? How are you taking care of that meat mm-hmm. in the field so that it is well preserved for when you're ready to process it? Uh, if you're gonna do it yourself, if you're gonna take it to a processor just kind of little tips and tricks on what we all do here yeah yeah we're just gonna dive right into it
2: well awesome i am so excited i know i know you're (laughs) excited
0: you're special in many ways
1: but uh, when it comes to this topic you're especially special for for people you know maybe who don't know you what describe what you do besides podcasting about hunting
2: gotcha when i'm not currently seeking out deer being a dad or, or being a an elementary PE teacher, which You're is an the elementary e. P. E. Teacher? best job you are? in the world. My, I w-
0: my wife does that. She's she does? A, yeah, she's a PE teacher at
2: uh, Byron Christian.
0: Where are oh, you? Oh, nice.
2: Right around the corner then. Where are you? I am at Dutton Elementary.
1: I know. It's right down the road. Yep.
2: The public school, not yep. the not the Christian That's school. Fine.
1: That's fine. Uh, so, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. I pass what your house you do?
2: every day during the school year.
1: Really? Yeah. Are you going to have school this year?
2: That is a very... Very good question. Our teachers We nervous? need more than a session to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we
1: do. Yeah. Yep. Well, maybe by the time this podcast goes out, COVID's cured. You ever think about that? It Ma- goes out end of August. What if
2: venison cures COVID? Th-
1: I'd be fine with it. Sorry, I derailed you. Um,
3: that would not be good for deer numbers. No, no. that's very true. No. we would
1: be wiping out deer pretty quick. And we'd have to figure out Let's something Let's cancel out. that idea right yeah. now. <laughs> Sorry. Cancel no.
3: culture the hell out of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Shame them. All right, so your daily life, aside from... Physical education, which is new to me. Yeah,
2: my parents own a turkey farm in Middleville, and it's the day-to-day process. There is name of the turkey farm? Tomato Turkey Farm. Okay, located in Middleville. Yep. And we're a retail shop, so if you need turkey, head on down to Middleville, and you'll be able to find it. We're open most of the week, uh, except for Monday when we process, ah. and that's where at least I've gotten my start with the meat industry is being is growing up basically Yo. at the farm. There we've we've raised the birds from infancy basically from a poult or a, a chick mm-hmm. and raised that all the way through.
1: Is a poult unique to a turkey?
2: Yes, okay. the term cuz like a chicken is a chick.
1: No, I have always called them chick like an idiot.
2: Sorry. It happens. <laughs> <You> Everybody <laughs> answers, "Oh, look at the chicks." It's like, "Well, no. they're poult." Wrong. It's so flat. we we do basically everything on site from raise them all the way through. We do our we have a Inspected facility that uh, we're able to process out of, yeah. and at the same time we also do retail right out of our, our store. There's some specialty butcher shops that carry our stuff, and there's some restaurants. And I I don't have the list in front of me to even to list those out. But at the same time, we're able to provide a really natural, well, good quality piece of meat to the public. Yeah, and you know you can chase a wild turkey and have a great time out there hunting it and get yourself a good bird not everybody's going to go ahead and do that and so for us to make not only a fresh product that people can take home throw it in the oven traditionally or smoke it or do whatever they want to do but we've also gotten into the cooking side ourselves yeah and so we make a lunch meat and sausages and whole sort of products which i are can probably do good by the way they are I'm a huge awesome fan of that I could be like Bubba Gump when it comes to turkey, you know, we just list off things. Turkey gumbo. Turkey gumbo, (laughs) turkey chili.
3: (laughs) How many head of turkeys do you guys have? We through our facility (laughs) through our facility
2: we can process up to twenty thousand birds. I'm sure some of these numbers are gonna be maybe a little off, so don't quote me exactly. On these, but anyway, we can do roughly around that twenty thousand mark through our facility because we are Michigan inspected, not USDA Mm, inspected. There's another step that you can go with that requires a lot more, and that's that's a lot of meat industry talk there at that point where you have to have an inspector on, basically on at your facility at all times when you're processing, and at the same time you have different parameters that are basically more testing, more inspections throughout each product, and. With that, you can then be able to ship stuff throughout the U.S. With a Michigan license, we've been grandfathered in, where we can sell out of the state of Michigan. So someone from Illinois, someone from someplace can come to Michigan and buy it, but we can't go there and sell.
1: It's like half interstate commerce at that point. Mm. Gotcha. Lately, the meat industry has been in the news quite a bit. It has. COVID cases are pretty high. Why is that? Why is it so high in these meat packing plants?
2: Because at the same time, it's one of those, con- when you have a case of contamination, yeah. it's not a, well, let's, let's pull this person out, and now you've got the rest of the work still working on. It's a complete shutdown. And it's a complete sanitization of the facility. A lot of people are being either, you know, I don't want to say laid off, but they're putting on furlough at the same time. Like, you have to halt work for this to happen. And so facilities are shut down to be cleaned because of some of these parameters that the USDA or even a a state DA will put in on on a facility. And then at that point, there's been this halt in the chain. And the way the food market works or the food chain works here in the united states is growers grow the food they send it to an inspected facility that inspected facility creates the product the product goes to the grocery store you pick it up yeah that chain can be pretty long there's a lot of steps there's a lot of handling and when that gets interrupted for say the plant goes down the farmer cannot get or the rancher cannot get said product to you because that middleman isn't there right and that's where the big problem came up was that chain being halted at that point. Now, at the same time, they then pick back up and they start filling those orders. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, it's like dumping a, one beer into a 55-gallon drum. Right. Like, it's nowhere near full. You're going to have to continue to fill that can or that small vessel and throw as much as you can to try and make up for that. Mm. So that's where that shortage started. Yeah from that you saw I think a lot of the u.s society u.s way of life at that moment on how our relationship with food really become apparent because the food shortage was declared at the ready-made foods being gone yeah that's the interesting. rows in the center were empty the frozen section was empty but produce was there right veggies were still there meat was still there and it wasn't until all the ready made stuff was gone that people started shifting over to the other the other thing too is restaurants took a huge hit at that point they can't get what they need to right they can't supply the people that normally come in there and so there was just this backlash of people not taking things into their own hands and being left now without and i don't want to say that they were without that they were starving but it was a zone of comfort that they have not been in yeah or a mm-hmm. thing that they had to think about in a long time they didn't have to have a freezer. They didn't have to have a, a pantry stocked with certain things. They would get what they needed on a daily basis. Right. That was taken away, and then you saw folks in an urban setting or even a suburban setting panic. Right. They, they started to get the freezers. They started loading up on on meat. Where folks in an urban or excuse me, folks in a, in a rural setting that are used to having a half a cow in a freezer. Yeah. Or in the case of all of us sitting around here, hunters that have got our stock of meat from the previous fall, we're just now looking at that more like, oh, well, I'm going to go through this deer quicker, yeah. or I'm going to be able to su- sustain what I'm my my grocery visits now with a little more venison, with a little more fish, with a little more bird or whatever mm-hmm. that you got in there. It was really a reaction to, I'm uncomfortable, I can't do things the way that I want to do them, so now freezers were gone. Yeah, we're having people buy whole cows. I mean, even right now, slaughter facilities are oh, filled up. So backed up, they're backed up forever. Yep. And it's like the other, you know that animal, <laughs> they're putting this probably sixteen month steer. He's ready to go. He's finished. Yep. But he's not getting in until October. So now you have to feed that critter until then. But at the same time, you, you don't get a let backlog get, building up. Yeah, you don't want to cut back on the feed because then he's going to lean out, and you don't want to then. Keep feeding him as much because then he's going to get fat. Right. So there's just this extra added into every position. That being said, I think there's been a realization, and I've talked to several people on my own podcast.
1: Which uh, is, plug it a sec. The Huntivore podcast. Nice. Good podcast.
2: Which they are now not necessarily freaking out about how can I sustain more food, but at least they're looking now at hunters. They're looking at the our way of life, and they're saying, you know what? they may be on to something right. where, you know, my food chain right now is super long. What are some steps that I can take out of that? Yeah. How can I shorten that chain to make it more accessible? In the case of our family at the farm, the food chain came through all the way through us because we've been licensed and certified to be able to grow, process, and create the product. We didn't have that backlog, right. unlike gr- grocery chains that did.
1: Yeah, It's. I feel like it's exposing... Oh, thing about Americans in particular and the, the way that they consume food, which is just very different than it was not that long ago. Ready to ma- ready to eat meals, things that you know. In a tw- like I said, not that long ago, people had freezers full of a cow or were hunting and had their own meat and stuff like that. So it's wh- where do you where do you see it headed back to like turning around or do you see Americans just not really learning from this? It's I'm, I say Americans because that's what I know. I, I right. assume
2: this is happening elsewhere too, but. For the grand scheme of things, let's keep things within the continental United States. Because that's what I understand as well, and I'm sure as us here. You know, for a while, like, bread making was trending on all the social medias. People throwing out bread recipes or, like, baking bread for the first time. And being excited about it, being like, I just made my first sourdough loaf. Sourdough, Jared. woo! It's not just, you know, I had to let that sit and ferment. Like, that was so cool. Mm -hmm. So I, from what I can grab from this... I mean, even myself, I have a short-term memory. And after I get back to feeling comfortable, I don't remember the pains until I have that pain come back again. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) But at the same time, I think there's going to be kind of a... There's going to be a little bit of an awakening. People are going to find hobbies within their food system that they're going to be able to do, whether it's backyard chickens or raising rabbits or becoming involved in a a co-op or even throwing in a garden. I know there's a lot of people that are throwing gardens in now that normally didn't do one. Right. I mean, even ourselves, uh, we moved into our house a couple years ago. Uh, We're at eh, year three now in our house, and we're in the woods like you. Mm -hmm. Sun space is... You know, really, as far as our landscaping goes, it really comes at a commodity. Yeah, and there was a lot of perennials. I said, hostas, you're gone. All yeah. right, tomatoes are going in, peppers are going in. Yeah, I, you know, I usually put the garden someplace else, and we haven't done a garden this past couple of years just because there hasn't been the need. But right. I mean, even as someone with my food chain being short, I was like, you know what? I don't want to rely on the grocery store for all my produce. Let's yep. throw those out there and. My flower bed is going to work for me, yeah. not me work for the flower bed.
1: Well, it's interesting that you need like a, like an event to happen to kind of change your, your way. For me personally, and I, we talked a little bit about this in the podcast, I found out when I was a junior in college that I had all these food allergies. So I had to figure out how to not eat gluten or dairy, and then I had all these other things that were piled on top of it, which just kind of sucked. But what it started kind of in motion was this total change in the way that I – do food right and so now i'm to the point where almost 95 percent of my food either comes from a csa because i don't i'm in the woods i don't and plus i don't have a whole lot of time to, to garden and don't have much interest in doing it but literally five minutes that way there's an organic farm that i get all my produce from my cow comes from someone right in middleville by you crane dance farms other other than the ones the stuff that i shoot and i ferment i mean right now i've got three different things from that are fermenting right now right um and broth always going things like that which was just totally foreign to me not that long ago but I, I, but like you said it's something has to happen for you to want to do that otherwise i was i was you know i was eating nerds my my go-to can't food was nerds like i just ate tons of them <laughs> nerds and gummy bears and you know like I, I didn't know how to cook and now i love to cook and so yeah like you said people making bread hopefully that's where we're headed which is interesting and then going back to kind of what we're talking about here it's there's a renewed focus on procuring your own meat, which as hunters is something we've been doing for a long time. It's, we talked about on the podcast, I keep saying that, but Jared and I ate, that's how we ate in college. Like we literally shot a bunch of deer and we that's what we ate on all year. So yeah, it's an interesting time. And I figured you'd have an interesting perspective, especially with everything.
2: Yeah. Going on. And it's to watch people, to watch their level of panic because I would be in the store and, you know, and I'll, I'll be working the storefront at this point. And, you know, we got our masks, we got our gloves, yeah. and everybody's spreading out. But there was a level of tension that was in that store. It's not very big, but at the same time, there'd be three people in there, and just the, the, the looking over the shoulder at each other. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a distrust, but it's like that is a potential danger. The that fabric is of threat. society
1: is starting to just unravel a little bit. There's
3: and a ripple in the pond. You yes. watch yes.
2: people's reaction to... Either A, that you can fulfill their need or not be able to fill that (laughs) need. We got to a point where we normally process once a week. And during those first three weeks when everything hit and then the panic started of food being gone, that we started to process twice because the store would wipe out literally of food or of, of turkey products. Person would come in and be like, "I need ten pounds of ground," and it's like, "Didn't I see you like on Tuesday? (laughs) Right? Where did that other ten pounds? I'm not asking. I'm not telling you these people, but it's it's one of those things like, "Oh, I'll, I'll get it to you next week." Yeah, and you could just see the anxiety well up. Well, can you guarantee that next week? Well, I'm making it. Actually my brother'll be making it on Sunday. He'll be taking his Sunday in order to grind them so that it can be ready and it's like, well, I just need I need to have like, can I like put my name on it? Can I pay for it now? And there was just this level of urgency that people were really they wanted more, they wanted it, guaranteed they wanted it now.
1: What a weird view of food that is so unique to right now. Like when Alice in history have we demanded? so much security when it comes to where our food comes from and when we have it. Like, I demand that I know what's going to be here the next couple of months. And it needs to be in my pantry, and it needs to be easy to make.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. For and 99% of the population, it was a guaranteed comfort commodity right, until exactly. three months ago. It's yep.
1: freaking weird. And, like, it wasn't – and this is, like, the industrialization of food. And we can go far down into that, but, like, not that long ago, it was just like, well – this week, this is the food we have that came out of the garden. We'll see what comes next week. And, you know, we're still eating on food that we killed this fall. So going back to that, let's let's, let's get back into the meat care.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. That was a great tangent, by the way. I love that because it does, it kind of gives an urgency, both to hunters. Yeah, It just validates what we are doing because I think folks at, at one end, they were still on the Bambi track that yeah. you, I've personified this animal. I see this animal as a pet. I see this animal more than just a living creature or God's living creature. It is amazing. It is glorious. Yeah. But at the same time, we are meat eaters. We didn't get here by just eating vegetation. Right. You know, yeah, we started out scavenging, and now we were, we've got the capabilities to, to take these animals. So when you do take one, it's, you know, people, it is. It's polarizing. Yeah. People either love you or hate you. And then I think through this, not having the panic come from our set of folks in our lifestyle, I think that was a good... I don't know bridge yeah. to help open the conversation to folks because then at that point they're like you're just saying f- it food for a reason you just want to go you want to kill and this is your excuse this, yes and now to see us not panic because our freezers are full they're like okay they mean it mm-hmm.
1: well and it, it's it's opened up conversations about many different types of types of things that you're eating like there's the deer which seems like people are more and more okay with and then there's like oh you know I was telling somebody I. I I shoot back in here a bunch of squirrels and I'll eat them all the time or rabbits or we're talking about going bear hunting, right? And it's just people suddenly there's a new line and there's like, well that's that's out of the question and you can't you can't eat a bear. Well, why not? And then there's not really a good reason. It's just like I have got a more of a connection to that weird a weird connection to that that I don't have with the deer cuz it has hooves. I yeah. Know, you know. So, yeah, it, it's just a re, it's yeah. an interesting time to have meat months. So, Jared, you know,
0: you did a good job picking. You know what? Everything happens for a reason. I'm usually right. Yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> really usually right. So well, I'm just saying you say it. So
1: we obviously we're we're talking down the line in terms of food, right? We're talking finished meat, cut up, yeah. in the freezer. Uh, we all know the most important step is like right after the kill. What do you do with that that animal? Joe, you put a you get you're out you're going to what, Montana. You got mm-hmm. some tags in your pocket. You put down a I'm thinking a 340 class bull. Mm-hmm. Take a hundred off of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got. 40 in it somewhere yeah, yeah. at least 40 maybe um, a total
2: of 40 we'll
3: see. <laughs> slobber coming out of its mouth yeah. screaming uh, it's,
1: yeah It's just like a dinosaur hey, out maybe
3: there. they're out there man they're out there we'll
1: see. so you put one down what do you do what's your first what do you do what's your first move i
3: gotta get the gram taken care of first yeah, yeah. Pictures. well a, are do you lay next
1: to it on the ground or are you one of those guys <laughs> no that
3: i'm not i'm a i'm a grip and grin i'll yeah. be a grip and grin in my bitter end do you have mm. no problem
1: with the grip and grin
3: i applaud the grip and i grin. do too yeah I've, i love it I, I see no reason not to be happy with if, it
1: if you shoot it with your gun do you lay your gun on the, the thing or do you just do it with a bow i
3: have i've done both with and both without when so i shoot the, with a the bow, weapon's not a big thing for me unless it's a stick bow you know that oh the st- it's going right dude, there so my, the first year i shot with a stick bow i was not only holding it i was pumping that thing yeah. above my head <laughs> like it was a trident yeah, yeah. Fuck off! yeah, yeah. No. stick
1: and string baby yeah, I, I feel you there. So, so you, you 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 take care of the gram. You know, your followers are happy. What next? I'm just kidding by that, by the way. <laughs> but but um, not really. Yeah, but not really.
3: So assuming I shoot an elk again this year, there's a lot of different factors to it, temperature being the biggest one, how far in is a big one. Mm-hmm. The very, almost without exception, the first thing I do with an elk is get the freaking hide off of it. They have a very thick hide that is a meat trap. Or excuse me, it's a meat trap too. It is a heat trap. Yep. And I always get the hide off first, get the animal quartered out. If it's hot out. Do you I'd... take off the hide before you quarter? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. yep. So I do a gutless method with an elk. And with with elk, it's a little bit different because if you shoot him on a steep hillside and he rolls into a dead fall, it's not like a whitetail. You can just drag it up out of there. Right. You have to kind of start skinging it from where you can get to. Play it as it lies. Play yeah. right <laughs> it. You, can, you can move him around a little bit sometimes, but a lot of times you're by yourself and you kinda just have to deal with the, the cards you're dealt. Yeah. But just
2: either, for perspective, again, I'm here I am from middle of the mitten. Yeah. What what weight are we talking about on these things? Because part of me is like it's not as big as a like steer, but at the same time it is dumb near close as far as what weight are these critters on the
3: hoof. They can vary a ton. Roosevelt Elk on the west coast, I've never shot one but I've I've seen enough video of them, they're monstrous. I can tell you, the, I shot a cow in Wyoming, I got 212 pounds of deboned finished meat off of that, and the bull I shot last year, I got 241 pounds of deboned meat off of that. So, Jeez, off mate. on a hoof, they can be anywhere from 500 to 1,000. I mean, the elk on a Fogneck Island are 1,100 pounds. Those big old thick mm-hmm. boys. Not big yeah. antlers, but thick. No, not historically, stout. no. Rosies as a whole don't have typically the antlers that the Rockies do, but they are a beast of an animal
2: and that's thick with two c's
1: yeah that's a good kind of (laughs) thing
3: yeah thick boys yeah um but yeah get the hide off of it nine times out of ten what i'll try to do is get the get the hind quarter off first if i can okay that femoral bone the femur i guess you'd call it yeah that stores a ton of meat or a ton of heat when you start taking the meat off of that bone like it's it's hot to the touch so
1: you're deboning the femur or are you just cutting it off? At the I'm, I'm
3: taking I'm taking it completely quartered out first, so I okay. get all the quarters separated. Yep. And in. If, if so, the possible, ball
2: is still that you've basically cut the H bone, the socket out, and correct. so the ball is exposed now at this point.
3: Yep. I'm basically just taking the entire legs off, hacking it off at the the knees essentially. Yeah. And then getting it hung if if possible. If there's trees around or getting it into a, just a place where I can get air moving through it or around it as much as I can. Yeah. Elks. So we're 98.6 and elk's is 104. Holy I just God, heard that on I'd the podcast dead. the other day. I don't know why that's as hot relevant, bloody. but they're they hot. <laughs> yeah, they hot. So getting air moving all around it is super important. Laying it flat on something, the bottom side, like if you were to just lay a quarter down, the first spot to rot is going to be the bottom of that quarter because it's not getting the air. Right. So if you can get it hanging, tie it up, just getting it up and away from the body will cool that meat down significantly. Even if it's 70 degrees out, there's a 30 degree temperature yeah. swing there. That's going to save you some time. If you're going to, there's an argument for taking that those back hams out, deboned and leaving the bone in. There's good arguments for both of them. The first elk that I shot in Wyoming, I left the bone in. The elk that I shot in Montana, I deboned the whole thing. The argument for keeping the bone in is that's essentially keeping all that meat in place. Mm-hmm. And if you take a cut Somewhere through that ham, yeah, basically just getting some air to that femur bone, that'll give it a, some place for some heat escape off of that bone. Mm-hmm. So bone rot is the thing that you're trying to beat first. There's all these different elements that you're trying to avoid. Dirt getting in the meat, flies, mm-hmm. all the whole larva crap like that. But the first thing you got you got to fight is the heat and yeah. getting, that, getting that meat to cool down. One thing that I always have in my pack is a space blanket not for the sole purpose of having a space blanket in a survival situation, but if you lay a space blanket out, you have some place that you can lay the meat as you're kind of working. Yeah, Yeah. it's It's like a table. Yep, exactly. Keeping it somewhat clean, clean as you can. And then getting it all into game bags to protect it from flies, larva, dirt, shit like that. Yeah. I use them. They're a little bit heavier, but if I'm hunting during the archery season in september it can get really hot during the day yeah and there's a lot of insects so i use an antimicrobial treated game bag that i hang all this stuff in gotcha another thing that buys you a little bit of time sure if you don't have that the meat will crust over that's okay you're gonna lose a little bit of the meat with it but
1: peel it or skin it right off yep
3: it kind of almost looks like a like a raw bacon or a you know if you like take a crappy jack slink jerky and like hold it up to the sun it's yeah. kind of a translucent it looks a lot like <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah okay that's one thing that does happen and it is okay i try to avoid that no personally i know some guys that just let it crust but i imagine you're losing a little bit of meat by by doing that my first elk crust in the pile of crust that i pulled off of that i wasn't happy with because i felt like that was waste waste yeah hmm. but it was Ninety degrees that day when I shot it, so I didn't have what else you to do? Much of a choice, yeah. So lose the whole
2: thing or lose a little bit of the rind on the outside. Yeah. Just a little
3: bit of the rind. I've never lost. I'll about kill myself making sure I don't lose elk meat. That's like, I don't. I don't know why I hold it to such a higher standard than everything else. But elk meat to me is like I'll break my legs getting into the truck in time if I have to. Well, you work so hard It'll for it. You effort. wait all year. <sighs> there's yeah. there's just something in and yeah, it's like delicious. A, yeah, but there's just something about the animal too. Like I'm and I I'll never intentionally wasted a deer hind or anything like that or a quarter or anything like that but for some reason elk is just like this standard that i yeah. put on this high shelf i'm not quite sure why so
1: you, you're boneless now or are you you is that your uh
3: i'm not i'm not set on one way i think it's very situational mm-hmm. if it's if it's cold out we did the math the other day if you keep the bone in it's roughly an extra 40 pounds that you're hauling out okay. it's, it's substantial yeah if it's warm out, I'm probably going to slit down to that femur bone to let the heat escape and keep it intact. Get it in a game bag and go. Yeah. This past October, when I shot my elk, it was negative 17 degrees. So I basically just was leisurely putting meat in a game bag and forming it so that it fit my pack well, yeah. and it was frozen in no time.
1: Yep, yeah, hard and as a rock. Yeah.
3: Yeah, which that <laughs> that presents its own challenges too. Actually, there's that's almost too cold.
1: Because <laughs> you're trying, you have to thought take it apart and yeah just
3: getting it ready to go home after that or try to separate it after the fact to get onto a plane or get into a cooler or whatever but get it, getting it cooled down is the most important thing how how you take the animal apart after that back quarter I think I think the back quarters are probably the most important thing to get off and cool down the quickest yeah there's a ton of meat there that's dense and that bone like it's it's ridiculous how hot that bone is when yeah, you take that crazy. thing out it's it's 104 wild. man 104 yeah, I didn't know that until, I, f- I forget the podcast I was listening to, but.
1: Are you a heart guy? Yeah, absolutely. Tongue?
3: I haven't done the tongue yet. I'll, I'll, the whole call fat tongue, the tendon behind the eyeball that tastes like pizza I dough. I, I tried I, that. I, I, I kind of made fun of those guys for that stuff in the past, but I'm going to try that stuff this year. Might as
1: well, I mean. I've always been a heart guy. Yeah, heart is, so is fucking good.
2: Mm-hmm. I will have an argument for the tongue. There's a. I don't know how to say it in Spanish, but there's a specific taco that's made of yes. Yeah. I had that there's a little joint out of Holland. It was a little red brick building. Yep. A buddy of mine took me to it and that's what I ordered was that. I just no picked kidding. something went to it. I tell you what, I, I mean I ate those three tacos and I wanted more. And yeah. I was like, huh. What is like what's the meat? And the lady was just kinda like, Was it good? Did you like it? Do you care what it what it's in it? And I'm like, I just wanna know. And she's like, Tongue. Yeah. It was beef tongue at that point. Yeah. But I was like, Hot damn! I am keeping it's just every tongue. Mm-hmm. After I, that.
1: I just had tongue last week, cow tongue. Every time I go get my cow, like you'd be surprised. A lot of people don't take the tongue you know, when they get a cow. But the first time I did, I did a couple of deer tongue because they're so small. Yeah, I had like three deer tongue and a cow tongue. Yeah, they're super tender, and I smoke them. You smoke it. Uh, you smoke it, and then you reverse sear it. Man, the shape's
3: a little weird. It, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, it's I, a little I what
1: I do is especially for serving to people, I just. I I uh, before I reverse I really kind of flash fry it in a pan mm-hmm. with some oil and I just so I can crisp it up a little bit and I just do little little cuts of it so you can't re- it's not in the, the, it's, not really in like, the yeah, it's not yeah it's not like <laughs> just flipping around sitting there on the plate. <laughs> well, if they uh, see uh, you uh, cut uh, the tongue part out, you have to you know blanch it or whatever yeah. first. Yeah, I I showed my mom a couple of days ago. I was at, up at her house and I made this and my mom and dad and uh, they saw me that part of it and that they didn't have any <laughs> like that was the uh, <laughs> take like, off nah. the taste buds a little well bit. it's those weird little things that come off cow tongues they're like little
3: little feeler looking guys yeah, yeah. they're okay, they're off-putting yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah yeah they're off-putting
0: hey we wanted to take a quick break here from the conversation to thank a couple of our sponsors who helped make this show possible One of the reasons why James and I love hunting so much is because we get to share our wild game with other people. But we need to be able to do it that's easy and reliable every time. Grilla Grills is a local company here in West Michigan, based in Holland. One of the great things about them is they ship the grill directly to you. There's no middleman, no big box store, so they're able to make a superior product at a better price point. The food and the smoke quality that's coming off this grill is unbelievable. We've received so many compliments on it already. So if you guys wanna find out more about what Mark and his team are doing over there, head over to gorillagrills.com to order your new grill. Now a proud partner of Boga Hunting, the American-owned, veteran-owned, Wisconsin-based Vortex Optics Company. Designs, engineers, produces, and distributes a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Dedicated to providing unrivaled customer service and exceptional quality, Vortex backs its products with an unconditional transferable lifetime VIP warranty. So if you guys want a glass with the best, head over to VortexOptics.com and use promo code BOGA20 for 20% off. Thanks for listening, and let's jump back in.
1: So, yeah, okay. So, Nick, when you put a deer down, this is a very, you know, obviously we're talking elk to deer. Different scenario, right? Because a deer you can take out whole and let it hang, which, you know, personally is, is what I prefer to do if possible. Correct. Right. What, what's your uh, what's your go-to method? You shoot one, you know, you get it out. You Say you have the option to hang it whole. Is that what you're doing?
2: It is. I'm opening that cavity up, and everything's coming out. Now, that fifth quarter, again, you can – there's a lot of things to pick out of there. And I know we were what's talking – What's the fifth quarter? The necker. The fifth quarter is referring to the gut. Oh, so okay. So that's your – I mean, there's the quarters, and then there's the quote-unquote fifth quarter. Yeah. Because you are taking things from that heart. I'm feeling you. Traditionally, I mean, yeah, you me get the you know you've never
3: heard of that no. the fifth quarter, no.
2: Yeah, because there is so much you can take. There's so much that you can do. Now mm-hmm. you are getting into old world cooking. You're getting yeah. over into Europe, where the Scottish haggis is a great point. Where haggis. you're throwing heart, lungs, and you're throwing that into the stomach of itself. Have you made that? Not yet. Oh, dude, that's there's our, that's yes, gonna we're be we're doing the that this year. But see, but then you also have tripe, which is basically the intestine, or no, it's the stomach wall. But then at the same time, sausages. Where do those come right. from? Yep. Intestines. So given the amount of time and care and what you want to keep, you've put that animal down. The golden like scenario, mm-hmm. and luckily, knock on knock on this brick here, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been able to do that three three years in a row where I watch the animal fall. Yeah. And it's like, hallelujah. Thank, yeah. thank you, Lord. So I get the animal, pull it out, and everything there is still viable. Liver, pull that out. Now, you, a, you a liver guy? I do love liver. I shouldn't uh-huh. say I, it's not something I want to have every day, Yeah. but as far as like, I mean, when people talk about a celebratory meal, they're going to jump to, they're going to say, oh, I'm going to have the back the straps. tenderloins, the I'm going to have the back straps, yeah. but at the same time, like, there is so much flavor going on with that liver, and it is so intense. It's like, a
1: lot of, it's an intense that's a good way to. Mm-hmm.
2: It is a celebration in itself. And the thing is, is it's hard like unless you're on top of it, unless you are right there when that animal falls, that like you find it that night, that's the time to take it. Okay. And it's not something you can freeze it and of course you can keep it for a long period of time. And I've been able to do that, but at the same time there's nothing better than cutting a lobe off and then that be what's served at deer camp where now you're sharing it with everybody. You
1: liver and onions guy? And Is I throw
2: in do? peppers.
3: Oh, you throw in peppers. Nice. You yep. can see that. Have you ever done tartar? I did that for the first time the other day.
1: Really?
2: I've that's not done the tartar cold. just because I would be the only one eating it. Uh, <laughs> and that's a lot of tartar off of, <laughs> of a heart. <laughs> well,
3: how'd you, you, what's the seasoning you put on it? So it was like an Italian vinaigrette. It's yeah. really simple. So correct me if I'm wrong. But once it's frozen for two weeks, there's no chance of bacteria as long as it hasn't touched anything bile, right?
2: On the surface. You can have stuff on the inside if it was a pre existing like let's say it had heartworm. That I mean oh, it would probably be once. it would probably be dead at that point, but it wouldn't be like gone. Okay. So I'm fine with that. Yeah. Basically, I've had
3: giardia before. I'll be all right. Have you? (laughs) For for the basic
2: stuff, you'd be good. Or like the, what's the one that uh, has Uh, cysts in your muscles?
1: Trichirginosis.
2: Trichinosis—that's that's, that that's that one is? that's got to go for two weeks. So you'd be basically you're that's good. Bear,
3: right? Bear yeah, is trichinosis. I would never. You can't do that with bear. It's no. got to be cooked to one sixty-five. It's like
1: ninety-seven percent of trichinosis or something comes from people that are eating bear. You got to cut that. <laughs> or you got to cook that good or
3: some sort of predator. Yeah, yeah. yeah I
2: say like, I heard pigs. the mountain lions have quite a bit of that yep. too. Mm-hmm.
3: So
1: anyway, so you're you're putting a, a Italian
3: Italian vinaigrette, red wine. Was a like a liquid smoke kind of thing, but it oh, wasn't yeah. liquid smoke. It's really simple. That's pretty much it. And you're Some cutting season. real
1: thin, or not too thin. You're, um, skip,
2: you're skipping the yolk. You're not putting the yolk on
3: there. We didn't Egg do the yolk? yolk, no. No?
2: You're common? missing out. Really? Yeah. There's your fat element right there. Okay. Mm. So you've done the acid, oil, <laughs> you've done the oil, but now you need to drop that yolk on the top I'll of. It. You. That's, that's why we, that's why that's we have you here. <laughs> yeah, I, that, <laughs> fat kid in the corner here to tell you what's going on. <laughs> he knows, that's right? Never he did tried. bring the food tonight. <laughs> yeah, he.
3: And, Explain that a little bit. We yeah. didn't really talk about that. Yeah, before. that's a good good call. Uh,
2: ex- the yolk or the no, the, the food? food you brought. This. Oh, I just brought spread. some. Again, I brought my my charcuterie board over here. Charcuterie. Charcuterie? Charcuterie? we don't know. smorgasbord so If
1: Whoever's listening, first one to write in, Jared will give you his bow as a prize. Wow! <laughs> the wow. look on, his eyebrows hit the top of his head it's, when you it's said all that. all tuned and sighted and everything. You're good to go.
2: But anyway, I basically brought venison in three forms here. Two of which got on the on the board, and and uh, the third is over here wrapped in foil. I've got a smoked pastrami that I've made off of a bottom round of venison. What's a- the bottom round? Which part of the deer? That's in the hindquarter. So yep. as we were talking about, he was talking the, f- the the femur. That would be actually attached to that femur. That's one of those muscles yep. that are there. I wish I could show a picture. That's the tough part about podcasts. Mm-hmm. I,
1: pa- you're, you're painting a verbal picture. I'm,
2: that's what I'm trying to do. So anyway, of those muscle groups, one of them is the bottom round, and it does a damn good job at making a smoked product and like a pastrami like this where you can then add the crust on the outside and then slice that thin. That is something that you could find in a Jewish deli right there. That's just awesome to have. So I I really like that recipe and that's a, I think I got that one off the Hunter Angler Gatherer Cook. That's our man Hank Shaw. Oh I I have his books. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. The man is a legend. Yep. So I got that recipe off, off of him on that and I just smoked it over charcoal and hickory. Tank. that was a great product that was delicious the jerky is my own kind of concoction I'm sure somebody else already has it made up but anyway I went with a smoked maple on that one <laughs> and it I think the venison really pops out in that like you definitely take a bite of it and you're like this is not beef jerky but in a good way
1: yep are you smoke you're smoking your jerky you're not you're not like um
2: I liquid smoked the jerky just because as of right now I don't have a great dehydrator no I do have a convection oven, and that has turned out to actually be. You just pop open the. Yeah, I just yep. I actually put a bolt and a magnet so that it basically triggers I've the done fan that. in the back. Yep. And I'm actually really happy with that setup. I had one of the ones that sit on your countertop. Yep. And it would just either it would either be too hot or not move enough air, and I just I didn't like it. And I went to that because now we have an electric oven, and that thing is just top notch. So that's how I did that, and then. The hot dogs is not your normal, like, brat style where you take ground meat, mix it with spice, shove it in a casing. I actually had to go to an emulsification. So before any of the listeners go ahead and, like, look up how you make hot dogs, be careful because you're probably not going to (laughs) want to eat a hot dog after (laughs) that. You might have a
0: bad time. You're going (laughs) to have
2: a bad time. But what you're doing is you're emulsifying liquid, fat, and meat into a slurry. I know that's a terrible word. How are
1: you emulsifying it? What are you So
2: after I've I've ground it fine several times through the grinder, and mind you, you got to keep this stuff super cold. Right. Or else it gets muddy, murky, and and, it ain't going to do no good. So you are having to keep this as cold as possible. So I would go through a grind and then immediately 30 minutes into the freezer, and if I didn't feel quite right, another 30 to sit in there. It's a long process in a home setting. Yeah, right. Then by adding ice water and little bits and batches at a time, you put it through your food processor and you basically just whip it up into a really fine slurry, slurry paste. Yeah. At that point it's still frigid cold. Pull that out, throw it back in the freezer because each whip of that, that blade going through there heats that stuff up. Right, right, okay. Friction. So keeping that as cold as possible. And then I then put it into a casting, smoked it, and then man, it came out as an awesome product. You do I can tell on a little bit of it that there's a little bit of graininess, and that was caused by temperatures not being as cold as how I should have had them. Now, they were still at a very safe temperature, but it was just – I was like at
1: – sorry doesn't bother me that much. Well, that's good. Well, the reason I say is – and I actually goes back to your liver. I got – everybody found out I like – I have been eating liver. So everybody that I know that got cow just started giving me their livers and I just <laughs> got so much of it. <laughs> got a and yeah, they're dude. huge. Oh, the cow liver is 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 big. And so what we did so i I'm like, well, it's a definitely a good source of of iron. Mm-hmm. So I I blended it up in the Vitamix and I made ice cubes out of it. Nice. And I literally will pop it into like a a, a soup or like if I'm making burgers, I'll just throw one in. You you put it in a bunch of burger you can't really taste it and it it's just how I'm working through all that without having to throw all of, it, all of it away.
2: When you do end up with, like, stuff, yeah, like we were talking stuff from the fifth quarter. We, I mean, we got on a, off a huge tangent t- here, but bring it back around to the fifth quarter, it's like yeah. that stuff really is, like, it, especially with, like, the liver at that point, it's so big, but at the same time it's got a shelf life that's much smaller than, say, some of those prize cuts. Yeah. So finding ways that you can then use such nutrient-rich pieces yeah. of meat is a great way, mixing it in with a burger for a, a pate or something, or even finding a way to then take that liver and make pate, another yeah. emulsification that we're yeah, talking that about.
1: Yeah, cu- that crestnut bacon, yeah. liver. You know, back in the day, people didn't take vitamins, like... Organs were vitamins, right? D. My daughter's reading. The, have you guys ever read My Side of the Mountain?
2: I love that book series.
1: Right, great book. The kid at one point goes and decides to live in the mountain, right, by himself. He catches a, a, a hawk and names it Frightful. And uh, at one point, he just he, a guy, a, a hunter shoots a deer and it dies in front of him. He grabs it. And the first thing the kid, I think I could be a little bit off, but the kid eats basically the liver as one of the first things. And his body is basically telling him to eat it because he's livered, uh, he is uh, iron deficient. Mm. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting to see, like, I mean, that is historically how we've gotten iron. Um, and one of the first things people eat, like you said, when you, when you, when you kill something.
3: You mentioned yeah. about the shelf life of liver. So if I've, yeah. never, I've never taken liver off of an elk. Is there anything I need to do differently if I'm if I shoot an elk eight miles in? Is there something I should do differently with the liver other than just throw in a game bag with the rest of the stuff? Is there?
2: I probably well, just being by the texture of it, it's going. I mean, it's going to be running hot, just like anything else on the inside of that critter. Right. And given its texture, you might want to make sure that that's in a bag by itself, or at least not being compressed, because at that point it's going to get blungedent by like let's say you put it in the bottom of a a bag and then you throw a shank on top of it, and it's it it doesn't hold. I mean, it is a muscle but it's the same or a, an organ, but it doesn't have the same rigidity as, say, a muscle would have. It's yeah.
3: almost kind of spongy. It's a filter, essentially, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the bottom of the game bag and the bottom of the pack with 100 pounds of meat on top of it is probably not going to fare well for a liver. Right. Yeah, good, right. good point.
2: Best thing I think would probably be after that is as, as you're opening that critter up, buddy over you to you is – getting his, his mess kit out, making a small fire, getting the jet boil or something going, and you guys slice off pieces of it and have it right then and there. That's my like,
3: problem. I don't have any buddies. No. <laughs> well, shoot, if you need somebody, I'll yeah, carry yeah, one. Man, Let's yeah. go. You, you, I got to uh, imagine <laughs> an elk liver has got to look like a freaking bat wing, like just I would think so. trash can lid It's got to be huge. Yeah, I kinda, I'll find out the show. You year, know, I'm hopefully. thinking,
2: I'm just trying to go on, like, how I've picked one up. I bet you a deer, a white-tailed deer liver is probably... Somewhere's like three to five pounds, like take that and multiply it the, by the size of an elk. You're looking at probably like a 10-pound vessel <laughs> at that point.
3: I've never, I guess, weighed how much meat I've gotten off of a deer. I'm trying to think percentage-wise how much bigger an elk truly is. I think I feel like it's it can
1: be anywhere from like 60 to 80 pounds.
3: Is that right? 80 pounds of bone meat's a lot. That's a big deer. That's a, a, big, deer, I That's feel a like. big deer.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Well, I've never weighed, weighed it. I, I know that I I feel like I've heard of it. Like some of my family members will bring it into a processor, but mm-hmm. we do it our. I just always do it myself, so right. I never think to weigh it. Yeah, I got to do that. We got to get a scale.
2: That's the other thing too, is when you get a chance to then cut your own animal, you re- you really appreciate a what the processor can do if that's something you then choose to go towards. But at the same time, you always have the guys that have gone to processors forever, and they're like, ah, that dude keeps you know probably half my back strap. Or yeah. I went in with a huge buck and I got thirty pounds in this box. Like that dude just kept half of it. He's a crook. I'm never going back home right. again. Mm-hmm. Or this and thing tastes like sage.
3: Yeah, yeah shot right. A corn deer. I at know the same this is time, not the same deer that I
2: shot. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, once you go through that butchering process, between yeah, pulling out the gut, pulling out the hide, you know, your monst- monstrous animal is going to whittle on down. That's yep. not to mention the. The loss of far as far as fat that you're not going to use, or silver skin, or even blood meat for that moment. There might be a shoulder that you can't use a big you portion it of. it out and it's gross. You know, yeah. I, I was just to talking dog. to a processor on that, and she's like, "If you want me to keep, you know, it, she's talking her interactions with other hunters. You know, you didn't. I, I'm missing a shoulder in here, and it's like, honey, you shot it with a out six. Yeah. You know, if you want it, fine, but there ain't nothing you, you're going to have the most gritty, awful, bony burger ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That you blow apart that shoulder or like a shotgun you know you get a 12k yeah, exactly you, you're gonna have a bit you're gonna have a bad time with that with one of that <laughs> shoulders <laughs> what do you do jared what's your what's your what's one key thing you do right after the shot whatever right after you find the deer
0: i think That's, it's what everyone else is just kind of touching on is just cooling that meat cooling down. It down yep whatever you can if i when i do come up on the deer that i shot it's it's getting the hide off like joe was saying and then typically what We'll do just quarter it out and just pack it up, take off what we need out of it, and yeah, especially if we're like boating back in or mm-hmm. like
2: yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably sucks. the big difference between like a yeah like a private land guy like I like I come up come from and then where you guys are on public land, you got to hike that thing yeah. for a long yep. ways. Where on the private lo- land side of it, I just got to get it to a a, a main access. That I can either get a gator back. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, there's been times too where I haven't been. You know, I can't get anybody on the phone. It's late at night. I'm not gonna call anybody. I'll I, I drag it back. But at you the call same us time, anytime. Oh, we'll, we'll do.
3: We're dra- I, we like to drag. So I'm always down for a drag and a nice. post celebration. Me too. Mm-hmm. That's the
2: best. And I think going from that experience, I am one to, given the right parameters. Like again, like if it's early October and it's. I mean. 65 degrees in the middle of the night and it's yeah. going to be 75 the next day. I'm gonna have to figure something out. We're gonna have to go with plan B getting it in the fridge quartering it out yeah but I like to keep the hide on and I'm talking a whitetail at this point, I'm not talking to yeah. milk, just because of the protection that it does give. Sure, yep. Oh, absolutely. You're yep. talking the rind that's making, you know, it's even sitting in those antimicrobial bags. You get a rind going, and that's going to be meat loss. Whereas if I hang that deer up and I'm going to leave him there seven days yeah. in my barn, like, granted, I mean, I got my workbench a little ways away, yep. and it's it's not by dirty by any means, but at the same time, it's like in an environment where if I can keep 85% of this covered, I'm going to end up with a better product. Now, I do have to prop open that rib cage. Yeah. I do have to, if you know, if it's going to be that warm, throw a bag of ice down in that chest yep. and then cut a hole down in its brisket so that I can have water leach back out of it so it's not pooling. Yep. But find a way, to, like just like you guys were saying, bring that temperature down mm-hmm. and then find a way to just protect that meat. Yes. So I
3: heard this from a butcher before, and I don't know if there's any truth to this or not. I'm, I don't honestly typically do it. If you're hanging a deer, letting it drain its cold out, letting it age, whatever, do you take it off, and I don't know the technical terms, hack off at the forearm, knees a off? A shank or I've, whatever. I've heard if you take, and it makes sense, I guess, for the bottom of the leg because that tarsal gland and stuff is there. If you hack all that off, does that take some of the, I don't want to say, gamey flavor is such a yeah. nasty word yeah. because that's not the right, you know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, like, that flavor.
2: You're going to have people on both sides that that talk about that. Honestly, I think leaving it on is not going to affect it. What you're going to have affect it is if somehow a gland or something like that that rupture it and have that leach onto the meat because then that's a a problem. But at the same time, if that gland gets left in, because I know if you don't take apart your hindquarter, there are glands in there. As you've seen, butcher those out. You'll see this gray, greenish glump of, looks like fat. That's Mm -hmm. a gland right there. Yep. If you were just to take that whole leg and roast it, at some point, somebody's going to eat that, and that oh. is definitely <laughs> and you're going gonna to be off-putting. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a bad time. <laughs> you want to know where your gamey is? It's right there. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as it being an internal thing, yes, it is. Hormones are running crazy, and there is scent coming off of it. it I, th- I would say as long as it's not being exposed to the meat itself, you're going to be all right. Mm. A lot of guys take those off, A, Old world. That's the way that they did it. But at the same time, when you hang something up from the ceiling, you don't want to have the hooves kicking around, just being in the way. Yep. So you knock it right, right at that. It's easy to pull the joint. skin off too at that point. Yes, you know? once mm-hmm. you can knock that off at the joint, you're then able to pull that off. But yeah, don't also don't cut that Achilles that's back there because you're gonna need that to hang. Yep.
3: she's gonna fall if you do that. I've done she's that. She's gonna <laughs> fall. <laughs> she's going for a ride. Yeah, she. Well, what? it's
1: it's funny that Achilles going back to Jared and I quartered stuff out before we ever got into like nice backpacks and all that stuff. We would just carry the deer out and quartered. You know, like we'd have like an old. I had an old navy backpack that I throw throw some of the meat in, and I would cut the like the the hide between the Achilles and the leg. And use it like as handles, remember that? Yep. And I just remember, like, you're f- by the end of it, it's like farmer carries. Your, hi- your forearms are killing you. Yeah. And you're just, like I feel like an idiot walking around. Well, that's how I
0: carried out my October buck this year. I've got a
1: you picture did. on Instagram of that. I was going to
2: say, I believe there was one where there, there's a stick across yep. your back. Yep,
0: I found a stick. Uh, there just, was
2: a heavy flex on one oh, of the arms. Oh, so
0: heavy flex. Dude, he <laughs> flexes up all the time. Man. <laughs> but yeah, it's just... Taking it out, but one thing I did dabble into this year
3: is dry aging. Oh, yeah. Speaking mm-hmm. of the rind, before I
0: had a pack, uh, he's got it.
3: What I are re- those straps? Back, I back ratchet up. strapped it to myself.
1: That is that is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, show him That That's, re- that is awesome. I regret that decision. Did but. it hurt?
3: Hell yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> How do you breathe? I ratchet strapped to myself. No <laughs> shit. It hurt. Oh my gosh. Was the ratchet like right in front of you? Is that like your right adjustment? <laughs> click, click, get <at> the chest. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just the, the, it says that the things you have to do. Chest catch before a nipple you inside know. that spring. Any,
1: anyway. no. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> That's hilarious. So you're dry aging. Yeah, dry
0: aging is a whole new game.
1: That
2: is something up. you got to be on it. You got to yeah, be do. prepared.
0: Yep. So I actually bought a fridge off Craigslist just an old crappy fridge that someone took out of an old apartment i stripped all the shelves all the shelves and all the drawers out of there and got some angle iron from a local hardware store cut it to size so that i could hang these legs in there installed a little fan and made sure that the temperature and the humidity was all right and that meat turned out so stinking good soft because of the when you let it age like that the enzymes in the meat naturally start to break down the meat and just give it a more robust deeper flavor yeah it was you lose some of the meat because of the rind Mm -hmm. you do have to take that off but when you when i cut it off it was just a deep mahogany red color and you could almost just pull it apart with your fingers i don't
3: know the the term for it but i I have a friend or guy that comes up to our deer camp who's a butcher as well Mm -hmm. and he actually built like he framed two by four walls and insulated this little, yeah. it looks like a closet, and then he bought an old vending machine off of Craigslist, <laughs> took the fan and the, mm-hmm. whatever, the refrigerant out of that, used, same same principle, mm-hmm. just, you can put a whole deer in it. That's awesome. We, we did the same thing with that, and like you said, it was just deep, rich, mahogany, yeah. and there was something to, like, the grain of it almost looked more exposed. hmm Interesting, maybe so you, you know the terminology the, to that. Yeah,
2: because at that point you're you're basically wicking moisture away from the animal, and so all of those connections, because even between muscle fibers, like it's being held together, and moisture is help making that tacky. So the more that you're wicking away that moisture, the looser those muscles are becoming. Now, to a point, though, like you're going into your fridge, and that's a great setup. You've been able to chill that down. The one thing that a lot of fridges don't give you the option to is to clean the coils mm-hmm. that are in the back. And you can get bad problems coming through that. You can get mold oh, yeah. that come through there. Oh, yep. right. It blows it in. Some guy's old beer fridge, you know, he it unplugs, and he doesn't realize it, you know, fills full of mold, he sprays it out, throws it on Craigslist for an hour, Jared comes up. So you're saying the <laughs> vending machine was a v. bad idea maybe? <laughs> well, what I'm saying is is be prepared for some sort of setup like that, and the method from that I got from a guy who did lambs. He had a very similar setup to what you were talking about, except he uses a cool bot. so he framed up this room, and this cool bot is basically a sensor override that you throw onto a... Like in in window AC unit, it oh, tricks sure. the thermostat. Yep. So basically, it's running super high, super long, yep. and keeping that condenser going. At some certain size window unit is what you, you can't use a small one. There, anyway, there's a whole thing that goes to that. But inside those AC unit un, units, it's still the same thing. You've got mold inside those coils. Yep. And as that wick song it ends up on the meat. So keeping a jug or a spray bottle of red wine vinegar. I say red wine vinegar. You could choose pretty much any what vinegar. What, apple, cider? ACV? apple cider vinegar would mm-hmm. work. You're looking for the nice. acid at this point. But as you're hanging those in a fridge, or like this to do the dry age, sure. you spritz that down every couple days. Isn't that a wet age then? No, no. Because you're still doing the process of dry aging. You are slowing the rate that your rind is going to be making. I see. Okay. For,
1: is that why you're spraying apple cider vinegar when you're smoking something, or is that totally- That's for flavor. That's that for flavor.
2: That's, a, that's for yeah. flavor and Moisture. for smoke penetration. Gotcha. That, we can get into that in a little bit, because again, there's there's two camps on that. Yeah. But with the, adding the acid to the outside of a like leg quarter that you're hanging there to dry age, you're going to be able to- basically keep that surface from getting mold on it. You're killing spores mm-hmm. that are landing on it, and then you're preventing spores from grabbing hold as it's now has acid on there. But at the same time, what you're slowing down is that pedicle or that rind from forming by adding just a spritz. You're not soaking it. A wet sure. age is actually the wet comes from inside the meat. You're not actually adding moisture to do this wet age. That's literally the juice that's inside, or purge is what they call that. Okay. Mm. The dry age is your purge is basically evaporated. So it's just a different method. Both work. And in fact, I would be hard-pressed to have you eat a piece of dry age versus wet age and and be able to know the difference. Now, where dry age gets its sex appeal is like what you're talking, that deep, red, robust look Mm -hmm. to it. Now, again... Because we have critters that are running around not eating just corn, not just eating grain, there is a, and there's an aroma, a richness that comes off that, especially when you do a dry age like that. Like you bust open that fridge, mm-hmm. and it's like the most alluring smell that you could ever get. Almost it, like
0: a cheese. Yes. Like a cheese smell. Mm-hmm.
2: Your setup is great, and I would just say maybe add that quick acidic spritz, especially when you try to go for... A little bit longer.
0: I tried bleach, but it didn't turn out very well. <laughs> <laughs> didn't get COVID, I think.
1: Right. Right.
0: Uh, Jared, you're uh, you're dry aging. How long are you dry aging? I did a 14 day dry agent. Yep. They say typically what 10, seven to 10, you can do it, but you can push to 21, or I don't know the exact days.
2: Normal beef is done at 21 days. Yep. And then from there, you'll have some of these different butchers or restaurants take it further. For venison, in fact, I even got some validation. This is my own mindset of it, but at the same time, I got validation from another podcast, what I would refer to as, I guess, the mothership would be meat eater. Mm -hmm. They had a meat scientist (laughs) on there and he talked about how the most effective, like the most work that's being done as far as aging, as far Mm -hmm. as the tenderness being done, is going to be from after rigor mortis to about that 10 to 14 days that you were talking about. That the most work is happening as far as, like if you were to look at a graph, there would be a high spike in enzyme work and tenderness being had. And then after that 14 day, everything slows down
1: so it's not really right uh, you can take it to 21 days but at the same
2: time you're not going to tell the difference like once you've cleaned that off and you have those two pieces of meat from 14 to 21 you would it would be a minuscule i shouldn't say a minuscule but it'd be a small bit of change versus day three to day 14 you would see a large difference between the two of those
3: what is the meat loss on that roughly if you were if you were to do that with a quarter yeah.
2: if you were to do that with a quarter, it depends on how where your humidity was. So like you know Jared's putting a, a humidifier in his his setup there in his in his curing chamber mm-hmm. and he's able to keep that the, the humidity in there at a high rate. you know he's spritzing with the, the vinegar. <laughs> no, not bleach. <laughs> Keeps it clean. We're going to tell that for the listeners. You know what? Don't use bleach. you
4: going to hit her with timer. some lemon Lysol. Now, if it's, yeah. if it's ringworm, back from my wrestling days, use bleach. the bleach. Yeah. <laughs> but
2: if he spritz in it, at that point, you're going to have a small rind, and it's not going to be very much. It's literally going to be that outside of it. I would say sub-10%. Okay. as far okay. as total weight of it. So it's kind of a mute point. It it's a mute point especially for like a quarter like that. Yeah. Now, you dry age a boneless backstrap. Not happening. They don't make gonna, it that long anyway. Yeah. Right. You're going to find that you're taking off a lot of rind, you're taking off the rind and basically your once glorious backstrap is down to the size of what the tenderloin was.
0: I did that. A Jared, if you will. I did that. It was a considerable amount. You did? Yeah, you, yeah you I did. did. I I just just want I just wanted to try it all. Yeah. I did all, all four good, though, quarters little... and then the two back straps, those were phenomenal. Yeah, I'm sure. Pretty they were awesome. Tender. But like you're saying, there's, I mean, you're talking about maybe a quarter to a half inch of rind. Especially
2: just... the longer that you go, yep. the thicker that rind gets. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can get, and now granted, we're in a position where we're, we're simply doing a, a hanging age. We're not taking things to where it's really fermenting because there is a, there's a whole science behind that. And that's where people get into say, like, oh, I'm going to dry age this for a super long period of time and get what some of these restaurant qualities, some of these Michelin star restaurants are doing. And it's really difficult to do because it is a, it's like a bonsai tree. You have to, you have to baby this thing yeah. every single day. And there's a lot of control that has to happen. And so it's best to leave that to the professionals. There are products that do make it helpful for the, the consumer, or the the home butcher. Now, I did my experiment with a Umai dry bag.
0: I've heard of those. Yeah. How was
2: it? You can get these things online, and it's basically a vac bag. So if you have a vacuum sealer or Mm -hmm. a chamber vac, which those things are wicked sweet, Mm -hmm. you basically put your meat in, seal it. I I tried it on a piece of domestic, and actually I got a select cut. I didn't even go for the prime. I went select and I got a bone-in ribeye, and okay. I was prepping this for my wife's birthday. Nice. And I was going to put a 45-day age on this piece of meat. Wow, that's, that's, that's planning. That's why I required the Umai dry bag. What this bag does is it basically you back-seal it around it, and it creates a membrane. It it seals itself to the meat mm-hmm. and creates a basically a layer that doesn't let anything in but allows moisture to come
3: out. Okay. So is the bag the rind at that point? Yeah, was the it's just going to bag ask. acts as the rind. Now Science. the yeah,
2: inside you do have to peel off, you do have to cut off rind. That okay. I mean that's an inevitable thing that is yep. going to happen. But it acts as a protective layer or a rind that you place on top of it. Okay. That allows the moisture to wick out from that. I again opened that up and it is I I had to cut the bones out. And I had to take that rind off, but just like Jared was talking about, I exposed almost like a purple of this beef that 45 was there. days, though? 45 days. Mm-hmm. What, I started you, it in That's some Vegas January, stuff right there. Oh, wow. And it, my wife's birthday is in March. So it was like those three, three and a half months that I really... Just put this into the fridge, and it required me to, using the bag, required me to roll it like every couple days just to make sure that I wasn't getting any spots that weren't able to let moisture come out. So you roll it and check it to make sure that you haven't lost seal or that it something was going wrong. Because at that point, you want to just abort it. If you, if you see mold growing underneath it, like yeah. abort, cut that off, have it then, yeah. right? But I was going to push it. I was going to really try my hardest to get there. And this is the point where I, I didn't have a charcoal grill. I mm. had a gas grill. And this is where the story gets really sad. Oh, no. I cut these beautiful steaks and put them onto the grill. I had them all seasoned up nice. It was going to be wonderful. And I closed that hood. Something distracted me. Oh, I no. forget what it was. But I walked away. And when I came back and I look out, I see flames lick, flare. licking uh, out from the lid. I flip it up. And my beautiful, amazing dry aged ribeye steaks were charcoal. No, oh, you hate oh, this. yeah, I was looking at well done, Hank. So, so that's would my smite you. Yeah. Oh yeah, punch me square. <laughs> he's in the rolling face. around in his <laughs> grave. <right laughs> now. At the same Although time, he might even just say, "You <laughs> know what? You learned your lesson. You get to eat it." And I did. Was I it ate. Okay, ate. it was okay.
4: Yeah, are you it gonna do or, try okay? it again? <laughs> I, try I'm still.
2: Again. I, I have to try it again. I haven't gone that far yet. But I learned a lot from that. One of those lessons: a, don't walk away from your grill. Yeah. But number two, how much quicker your meat is going to cook. Because so, it's dry. Because it is dry. H, ah. it is dry. So if this is a route you're going to want to go, check your times if you're going to be putting it in the oven or if you're going to be doing it on the grill. Why'd you walk choose grill?
1: Why'd you choose grill over like an oven or a smoker?
2: Because I wanted. wanted the I wanted right? steak. Grill. Wanted the line I
1: wanted, Asian, yeah. yeah, that classic. Get steak. that line. Yeah, I get you.
2: I was really working at it. You know, you have progression as you go through, and that was one thing that really was the outdoor cooking style really just really resonated with me, and that's yep. where it was like, yeah, like you said, Hank Hill, like being well, the dad, an art being that the man. Point. Yeah, You got is.
3: three months into that thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's the commitment. Lord. Have I you didn't. ever done, like, and this is kind of off topic, so kick me out if I'm kind of skipping all over here, but we, we were just at Total Archery Challenge in Montana, and there's this company called Birch Barrel. There. They make these weird kind of cylinder things. grills, and but they're they, like a
1: fireplace too. Kinda. They they
3: are. They're and I, I'm going to do a terrible job of describing them, but it's basically like this. It looks like a giant. Matt's pulling up a picture here.
1: Yeah, it's like a tripod. It, yeah, maybe part pot. of the reason it was so okay, cool
3: yeah. is because she was cooking. That. She she's gorgeous, <laughs> but. <Nice. laughs>
2: It's always the chick that sells it. I am so easily marketed to. (laughs) I'm going
3: to buy that dumb $900 grill now. But uh, they were taking full, I think that one was a full mule deer quarter, hind quarter, putting it on that thing. Is there, that for whatever reason, just the allure of having a whole stinking leg on there. It's just, it's cool. It's primitive. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to do like that with, like you see guys doing a pig whole pig a whole deer
2: on a spit just rolling like, over the fire i want to shoot
3: a spike horn that i don't have to worry about the antlers and just put a whole spike horn skull and everything big devil yep. tines hanging up yeah do something like, i think that'd be cool but scale down something like that just a hind quarter yeah what's yeah. a good way to prep a hind quarter to cook it whole on a badass grill like that because that's something i want to do this year that's a cool gotcha yeah
2: that's a great question i would first like as you're as you get your deer, we talked about this earlier, uh, there is that gland that's in the inside. I've seen and yeah, gross. You don't it. And like yes. yeah. you don't have to cut into a muscle. What they refer to that is seam butchery, and that's going to help you find that. If there's a there's a definite seam where you can slide your knife in, get to the femur without actually breaking apart the muscles, and on the inside there is where you're going to find that glob of gland or whatever that is. You almost don't even need
3: to cut. You can kind of run your hand in there and break that
2: break that, Yeah, once you break that connective tissue with the the blade, I mean, you're only using the quarter quarter inch at the the tip of the blade to just Mm -hmm. make that incision, and then, like you said, put your hand in. You can then be able to grab that out. Tying it is going to be a good thing, and that's where you're basically taking a cotton string and tying rounds Using a slip knot, they have that yep. on that one. Yep, slide yep. that in, and what you're basically doing at that point is holding that together from having a certain piece just fall off right. in the fire because it's breaking down. It's yeah. breaking down at that point, so tying that together and then having some way that you can, at that point, evenly cook it. Where if I, I didn't get a good look at the picture, but it looked like there was like a it was a deeper vessel. Yeah, you want to look at this It picture. could be submerged down <laughs> in there. And as it's in there, you can then roll it over and be able to be able to have that cook. Oh yeah, I see where the top then goes down on top of this thing. Mm-hmm. See that point, you're having more of a not only like direct heat hitting it, but you're having that convection inside yeah. of that. Yeah, I could see why you'd buy that from her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's why usually, uh, <laughs> you know, that's very interesting. Yeah. I, I have a totally different question for you now that we're it's Q and A time. I've heard of you skin the face of the deer, the head. You, you bury it in char, you bury it in coals and tin foil wrapped in cotton and wet cotton, and, and let it cook that way. You ever tried anything like that?
2: I have not. I have had beef cheek. Yeah. I have pork cheek. Yeah. It is delicious. So good. It's so. It's so, amazing. I want
3: to try it on a deer. It's very light. It's like pinkish, isn't it? Um, I'm just trying to. Very
2: think of- gelatinous. Yeah. There's a lot of connective tissue because it is. there's the small muscles that are up moving the jaw. There's a lot of connective in there, and that just... I mean, it's, it's, like it's so velvety. Yeah. I would equate it to shank-like after a slow cook. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The only hurdle that you have living here in Michigan is the whole CWD thing. Yeah, that's... You are very close to the brain. You are very close to bone on this one. As much as I would say, dude, have at it, it would be one of those where... The other part too, is if you you have to submit the head in order to have it tested. Right. It can't even be one of those like, well, can I have that head back if it's a right. negative? <laughs> it's <too late. laughs> or excuse me, if it's not a positive. There right. is no if it is yeah. not a positive, can I have that head back? And the state of Michigan says no. After it's so, rolled
1: around
3: in a wooden box that it checks Yeah, the those data. weird exactly. boxes
1: you drop them off. Have you ever dropped them off at one yeah. of those? Yeah, it's gross in there. Heads, <laughs> just deer heads. <laughs> it's gross.
2: Yeah, I, I it's kind of a, I mean, it's it's probably a new normal now. It's as far as yeah, don't it say is, those things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's like a new normal. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. it's not normal. I would a say it's probably part of the traditional way things are going to be happening yeah. as far as like because that's a glorious thing. I'm I grew up in a non hunting family and it was all agriculture at that point. I'm the only hunter in my group in my family basically yeah. my brother has a bow he dabbles with it but at the same time he didn't even he hasn't gone out in several years right being the one that doesn't have necessarily a hunt camp or something where people get together and just talk about hunting like there's these little tidbits that i have that really get me excited and one of those things is like a check station yeah and now that like on a day where i get it like i do i have to, i get to go i get to sack up the head put that down there's just another like, memento tag that I get to put sure. on the yeah, head there, check. keep that tab. So I can see how that, in in my eye, as much as it is a headache, I think it just kind of fills into the same lore that we're creating with our Michigan traditions. Yeah. Or even, you could say, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, depending where you're at. But it's just one more thing to add in there as far as, you know, oh, now it's, hey, little Jimmy got his first deer, now he gets to go take the head to... Like I always said, that.
0: little Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> That was unintentional, but <laughs> I like it. Well, you, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs>
3: what do you do with rib meat?
2: Now rib meat's fun. That has been my that has been my Moby Dick. That is my white whale. Ooh. The Be- tomahawk? I've done the tomahawk. The and blanket? well I'll go. Is that where with, you roll it
1: up? Yeah. I've done that. Yeah. I call it a rib roll. Okay.
2: Where I'll actually take off the whole side and I'll bone out the rib cage and I'm left with, like you said, a blanket. Yeah. yeah. At that point I roll it up and tie it. Sear all sides of it. And That's then one, I'll sew,
3: One big piece.
2: But it's all rolled up like a roll or right. a pinwheel.
1: Like a what are those tacos that are rolled that you give to getos. There you go. Yes yeah. sir.
2: Slow roast it that way. And then I immediately pull it out of the slow roaster and with asbestos fingers and trying to just get through as much of that heat as possible I roll it in plastic wrap and then throw it in the freezer. Okay. And that whole thing will then solidify. And it takes thirty to well, it takes a little longer than that because you are having it at temperature. You can leave it overnight. But then basically when I pull that out, I basically have between the well the fat the bad fat, the waxy fat that you get off venison has been rendered and it's not necessarily clumped all onto this piece of meat now. You've you've basically ridded that meat of the waxy fat. I'll then slice that into a eh, quarter to a half-inch slice, and then you, again, go back to your pan, sear on both sides. And I tell you, that with eggs is the best meal, the best use that I've got for using ribs yeah. at that point. <laughs> it does take you to have a not-complete pass-through or using a back section yeah, of the rib. Yeah, that's what I Because yeah. yeah. if you have a pass-through, there's, a, there's the first part of your rib cage that you can't use. Yep. Yeah. But I've also liked to make, and this I've done these for like special occasions because there is a lot of technicality to it. There's a lot of knife, like small knife work with it. But I'll then cut an individual rib, but I keep as much of the meat on the outside of it mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Run my blade along the bone to then basically peel that meat off. I roll it up, tie it up, and it's like a... Reminiscent of like a lollipop at that point. It's still with this like blanket idea where I've rolled it. Yeah. But now I have that all rolled up at the end of the rib. What? I've seen them do these with beef short ribs where okay. they cut it and fold it over and then do it that way. But with a with venison, it's small. So you do that same roll, season it, do whatever you want to with that, yeah. put it on a slow roast, pull them out. And then I hit him hard on a sear right before I serve, put on some barbecue sauce, and it's literally a venison lollipop that they just bite that circle off. That blew my mind just now. That's crazy. I'll have to forward some pictures to you. Yes, It is one of those, like, it's got to be a forward thought that you thought about this. And it's definitely one of those, like... Not one of those, like, oh, I kind of want to do a special meal. It's like, no, no, I want to blow their mind. Yeah. You probably know
3: this is going to happen before you even shoot this deer. Like, next year I shoot, this is happening. Yeah, there's a yes. lot. That- <laughs> I,
2: I normally don't shoot the head, but if I happen to shoot the yeah, head, right, right, this right. is exactly right. what I would <laughs> <Right>. do.
3: <laughs> no, I've
1: tried that before where you take, like, a I took, like, a snips, and I cut the ribs right by the, the spine. I rolled it. I did the fridge thing, too. Um, I mean, there's just not a lot of meat on it, but it's, you can you get that fat off. It's pretty freaking good
2: it is and again it's like sheet muscles at that point so you know they're not they're not thick they're not robust that i, I mean they're literally a cover and it allows the rib cage to expand and contract mm-hmm. so giving them a heat treat is really like they will be tender at some point yeah on that now you keep everything together, the, the layers of fat in there, it's It's going to be a problem. It's going to be something you have to work past. There's not to say there's nothing wrong with burger. I love burger. My family goes through a lot of burger, but just the, those ribs, they, it's been my... Because somebody told me at one point the only good way to use ribs is ground, you had to go. I'm the like, you way. know what? That's why a, you're shooting a longbow right now. That's why I'm
1: shooting a longbow. <laughs> somebody <laughs> said to shoot a recurve, go you recurve. said I'm going longbow. Nope. No, idiot.
3: <laughs> of all the cuts, and this is probably similar for most people, but I find myself at, at the end of the summer, like I am right now, with trying to find different ways to use burger. Like, mm-hmm. I have no problem burning through my steaks. I have no problem burning through my roast. And same thing with the ribs. Like, I've tried to find different ways not to use that as burger. Mm-hmm. And I did something similar where I just take it into the, the blanket, cut strips of it, actually fry up steak, peppers, and onions, and wrap it up in that pan sear. Boom, yeah. boom. It's I like, like that. a little redneck jalapeno popper thing. <laughs> but what do you do outside of burgers, tacos, stuffed peppers that you do with burger that might be different? Burger bores the hell out of me. Yeah, it, it, it does. It can't get boring. It's good to have. It right, is good to handy. have. It's
2: handy. I'm trying to think of something outside the box, but at the same time burger is is meant to be in it's the box. Burger. It yeah. is it is the week. It is the midweek meal. Like you yeah. can yep. you can fry up burgers and you can have them for the next 3 days or you can make I would say probably chili. That would probably be my like home run because that stuff I'm I'm a leftovers guy. Oh yeah. So yeah. like a big pot of chili to some people, looks like oh, I got to eat this for the next three days, and I'm like hell yeah, yeah it's gonna cooking. get better with the next three days. That's right. And,
1: well, I, I we've been doing tacos, like well, I feel like two three times a week when when you know we're busy, you throw some cumin and stuff and some in some ground beef and like on a salad, like it goes a pretty far away. But I feel like something interesting you can do with it is like uh, you can make sausages, right? Can oh, you yeah, yeah right? Yeah. I mean at least that's or
2: like a brat.
3: Can you take burger down to a brat? Can oh you yeah. It, just yeah. Re-grind it again? You just you
2: would just run it through and I would say keep it at the same grind size that you've got it in. So let's say you put it in at eighth inch grind. I wouldn't say you have to go or excuse me, at a quarter inch grind. Yeah. I wouldn't say you'd have to go to the eighth inch grind. You don't have to go smaller. You don't have to go smaller. At some point you are gonna be making the the pieces smaller. You you are going to be taking it further down to a finer grind, yeah. but at the same time, having maybe a little finer broth might not be such a bad deal anyway. No. Add a binder in there, add your seasonings, and away, away you go. Having a good stuffer is Our always a, a good thing. I
0: need a stuffer. You got one this year, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. I just got a LEM. LEM? Uh, LEM. No, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It's a little five-pound, all stainless, so it uh, works pretty well. I'm pretty pumped to use it. But to answer your question, Joe, one thing that I've been doing with ground, mm. and it's a little... It's a little tedious, in the process, but it's making pot stickers. If you're like a okay, mm. you know, like a Asian cuisine type lover, mm-hmm. which I am, you're practically just taking ground, mixing it with like a, a little soy, maybe ginger, mixing it all up, and then you're putting it in those wonton wrappers, sealing them up, and frying them. And it's it's bomb. So it sounds, sounds pretty good. It's awesome. yeah, you
2: picked that up. You were just talking earlier. You were stationed in Japan. Is that yeah. where you picked that up?
0: No, I, I fell in love with the asian cuisine there more or less the, like the sushi from japan gotcha which i tried a ton of different stuff over there raw horse was one of the, one oh, yeah. of the things we tried yep. really? Was it yeah really good it wasn't bad <laughs> <laughs> it was, <laughs> it's not, it was, not gonna write home about it no it was definitely um definitely an acquired taste it was just kind of different
3: have you done you anything know? with raw deer or any raw game at all? Nothing yet. No,
0: no.
1: dude, I ate the I ate behind the eye. You
0: did. We were butchering that deer up, and we is it, it
1: that pizza fat? dough? Yeah, it's just like didn't really have much of a taste.
0: I was like chewing on it, waiting for something, something
1: special but, to happen. But I feel like what I've heard it done with is not whitetail. It's caribou. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm sure there's a different flavor. I tried it with the the whitetail, the Michigan <laughs> version of it.
3: I'm going caribou hunting next year, so I'm hopefully. Are you really? Yeah, we're at we Holy Brook's
1: Are you really? Yep. You got room. For me, you throw me in your, uh, your pack and carry I, me If
3: are serious about it, we actually do right now.
1: Oh, that would Jared. Be, no
3: I feel like bow. the caribou eye socket Every bow hunter needs three, st- three things. Patience, perseverance, and a rifle on a caribou. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, not taking that damn stick bow. <laughs> Jared, I'm going to
1: need to borrow your bow. <laughs>
3: You're going to borrow a rifle. <laughs> yeah, and by bow, I we're mean. We're coming back with
0: caribou. <laughs> seven mil. So, guys, let's kind of cap this night off. And we're each going to go around yep. and give our one recipe that we're going to try this season with oh. the animal that we hope to harvest. Nick, I'm going to start with you. Oh, good.
2: Oh, man. <laughs> so everybody's heard of the asso Yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as like everybody looks forward to backstraps, everyone looks forward to tenderloins, like the shanks have found the warmest place in my heart. Oh, I love okay. Utah shanks. comfort food. That is where it's at. Between even like with a beef, beef shank or even a beef oxtail, like the stew that is made from that is just incredible.
1: Mm, I love it. Jimmy knows all about the oxtail soup. I feel like a lot of people I'll tell them about oxtail soup, they don't think that's a thing.
2: Oh it's, like, it's definitely it's, a thing. Definitely I feel thing. like it's a
1: Dutch maybe it's a Dutch thing. I've never heard,
3: that, heard of that before in my life. Oh, it's You've the, never tell, heard explain of it. An I've never heard still.
2: of it. Yeah. it's <laughs> freaking amazing. <laughs> well, first then. off, oxes or steers have tails. Yeah. And this is basically the continuation of that all the way down. So when you get it, there's there's basically meat, small pieces of meat surrounded by a large amount of fat and connective tissue and the marrow and the inside. And so these little disks, they look very similar to the shanks. That you sear both sides, throw them in a crock pot, and just let them stew down. Whatever whatever liquid you have in there, basically they just start to fall off that vertebrae, yeah. and it just turns into the most velvety.
3: The fat and everything stays on. the fat renders that, out. Fat becomes in. these
2: this. Uh, it's just so it's gelatinous. Nectar. It's
3: thick. So it's not a a tart, chalky fat like you'd see? No, no. This is like where you just want
2: to keep slurping. It's like you get the the, uh, marrow in there too and stuff.
1: It's Mm. freaking good.
2: Yeah, it's definitely like a, a liquid at that point. Oh, it's just... It's unforgettable. So, yeah, listeners, if you've not tried oxtail.
1: Is it Dutch? Is that why? I, my grandma always made it. That's how I knew about it's it. It's old
2: world. I wouldn't say it's just Dutch, but okay. it's it's just old world nope, because we're claiming it's all it. over. We're
1: cla- we're we're claiming the Dutch it. will claim it. Yeah. You're welcome.
2: They have put a flag <laughs> in everything, don't yeah. they? They even take land that's not theirs. They're building walls out in the ocean yeah, and then draining it out. See, it's No. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. All
0: so, right, so you're going. Um, so I'm
2: going the Osobuko, but I'm not going with necessarily the like Italian mainland, I'm gonna go with the Sicilian Tuscan oh. side of wow. it. and it's a it's a red wine black pepper. Like it's really like a peppered beef at that point yep. or a peppered venison at that point. So you not only are you in your liquid, mostly red wine, you've already treated your Shanks You've cut them down into the rounds. Mm -hmm. You could throw a whole shank in there if you wanted to, I guess. But anyway, you've hit that with salt, and you've hit that with coarse pepper. Mm. Into the liquid goes whole cloves or whole kernels of black pepper that are in there, bay leaf. And it's pretty much simply just that, salt, pepper, bay leaf. Nest those all inside that, let that thing go down. And that black pepper, It just it's not necessarily like a capsaicin hot. Yeah. But it's definitely like a a warm heat. It's a warm heat that a hits warm you. There's a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just like with those octale, oxtails, that wine gets all the alcohol out of it and it thickens up mm-hmm. and then the addition of all that connective tissue just creates I mean, it's a real thick. It's almost a sauce at that point. Yeah. To have something that's not so much acidically tomato or just with the mere of the onion and the pepper, which is also which is great, but at the same time, switching that up and going with something that's spicy, warm, you throw that on a bed of mashed potatoes, and, man, that Forget is. Forget about it. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the dog <laughs> days of January being in wintertime. That warms you up right there. Yeah, that's I some like comfort
0: that. for food.
3: I feel like I need it's a nap spread. after just hearing about <laughs> <at him. laughs> The way he's just like I'm getting the sleepies, you know. A
0: bed of. Warm mashed potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> I could go lay in so one of those. I haven't smoked in years, but give me a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Dri- Drippy butter. All right, Joe.
3: So mine's far less exotic and romantic as that, but I was lucky enough to draw a tag in Montana, the same area that I hunted last year. Yep. And there is a glassing point in the lookout rock. We call it Pride Rock because it looks like Pride Rock nice. from freaking Lion King. Do you hold your binos out every once in a while?
2: We've taken all kinds of weird pictures yeah. of this thing. No, Joe holds the other
0: person out. Yeah, that's yeah. Right,
3: yeah. yeah Matt was hanging over the edge. <laughs> but something that's super important to me when I shoot an elk is to have that first meal be right there. And mm, I've cool. actually found something that I really enjoy doing is cooking on a piece of shale rock. So cool. building a fire, putting a shale rock on there, getting that thing piping hot, just hit it both sides and eat it. I did that with my first elk. And unfortunately, my elk last year it was such terrible conditions mm-hmm. that was scary in a nutshell. But wasn't able to do that last year. So that's like something that's super important to me is, especially with that specific area. Like I, when we were scouting there the other day, I saw a rock and I'm like, that's the rock. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, super important to me. And it's, there's no seasoning, no nothing. It's just meat. Flash, flash. I love that. The first meal. Yeah, some of the best
1: meals we've had were stuff we like, uh, I think of like a a meal we had a turkey. Yeah. Just grab some uh, ramps, you know. Wild leeks. Wild leeks, you know, and and some turkey that we just shot and just eat it together and it's
3: like. There's something spiritual about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's It's like. You can't describe that to somebody unless they've been a part of it. Even if it's not your animal, just to see the fruits of your labor. Right there. Instantly. Next to a carcass, it's... it's uh, To describe it in one I go, word, chills. right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> holy crap.
1: Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right, I have one. It's not new. Well, it's I'm going to do it again and do it right. I'm going to be Swampy Michigan Oysters 2.0. Oh, okay. If you guys are catching I, what I'm putting down. I'm
3: assuming those are testicles? Balls. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: I made them once, two years ago, and I, I cooked them too hot or too fast, I think.
2: They and blew they, up like popcorn. They didn't pop,
1: they. yeah. All of a sudden, they get real firm. They kind of like, f- like it's real cold out, and then they. It's like the they, opposite of blue balls. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the weirdest thing, and they're really good. But I, I like, I think the first time I didn't, ex- I feel like I didn't appreciate them very much because they tasted good. It was just like the shock of having testicles,
3: yeah. busted balls, all busted, in, busted balls, all up in your mouth, all up in your mouth.
1: <laughs> I knew. You. I want to try it again and do it better. And everybody else thought I was so like gross, but. I think we posted about it. we got some fairly yeah. positive mm-hmm. feedback about it. Would like to try it again. So it's really almost as romantic as yours Nick, but <laughs> in a very different yes. different erotic yeah. way. It's I the other side of like the you tail. went yeah, about it right. all
2: wrong. You went too hard at the beginning, you know, it's got to be a slow. You got to set the mood. Yeah, that's night. right. Yeah. Slow heat so yeah. they don't I've
1: never been one Richie <laughs> <while you're talking. laughs> I've never been one for foreplay. Get so. right to the point yeah. of, it, uh, that's of What's going down? I'm balls in my mouth. All right, Jared, you know, bring Uh, us home, man.
3: Hopefully it's not a special meal that comes close to the taint like (laughs) this last (laughs) time. The chuckle, if you will.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to go sort of your route where I did it wrong the first time. Okay. And I'm going to circle it around and try it again. And I think the little meal that Nick brought this evening kind of tipped the scales on it. So I'm going to attempt the pastrami again. Uh, My my first go around, I had it brining outside because it was still winter. And it was at, actually at a, a nice temperature, but it actually warmed up too warm while I was away from work. And I global think it, warming, I think it went a little rancid. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, I hate to see um, it. So it didn't turn out that well. So I would like to either get a good recipe, maybe I'll get with you and yeah. your, your method and now you know, I know your who to bug.
3: Recipe, yeah. So that one was pretty perfect. Yeah, yeah.
0: So awesome. I'll, yeah, I'll, that's what I kind of want to do.
2: I I found well, I was inside doing mine, but I do I find with if. You know, seeing exactly what happened to you, Mm -hmm. I could see how that definitely did not turn out the way you wanted to. But I did find like using that cut and using this recipe, it really is a very user friendly thing. As long as you're staying on top of it, there's nothing that's out of the world complicated about it. And if you're willing to, you know, just kind of do a little research, and this is for listeners, too. If you just do a little research on how much salt you want to put in, if you want to use cure to really get the redness and to help with your bacterial growth, just really research on on your your cure use. You do not need a whole lot of that. It's, I mean, a minuscule amount to get what you're looking for. Hmm. But, yeah, it's a very user-friendly recipe given controlled, you know, conditions.
0: Not user-friendly to me. <laughs>
2: no, not when you throw it outside. <laughs> yeah, it gets You know, it. I thought
0: I'd use it well, you outside get, to my advantage, and it just didn't You get like well. a 60-degree January. I mean, who sees that
3: coming? Nobody
2: yeah. sees yeah, it. You hate
3: to see it. You hate but to see it. At least you didn't bust a nut. <laughs> <At least. laughs> and on that note, thank you guys for joining yeah. the
1: podcast. Man, uh, we spent a whole night recording uh, in front of a fire, picking your brains for various things. And so can't tell you how much we appreciate you doing it. it fun. Oh,
2: thank you. Back to you guys. This yeah. has been a ton of fun.
1: All right, guys, well, join us next week. We'll have some more meat talk for you, led by Jared and all his uh, meat ideas. So come back again soon. Jared, introduce this month. It's a new month.
0: Let's set the stage. This Ye- was my idea. This, this was m- m- your idea. This month was my idea. This is all Jared. And it's quite veniently. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my word I made yeah. up. Uh, conveniently right before deer season, so it's fresh in your head. Yeah. It's Meat Month. Meat Month. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're here, and we're going to talk about meat. And this is a re-
1: resumption, if we're making up words, of the past week's podcast with our same friends here.
2: Yeah. This is session two. Yes, session
1: two. Should, do we need to reintroduce, probably? No, they can go back and listen to the first yeah, one. Yeah, go back and let's download the first one. Don't be lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jump around. <laughs>
0: meat Month. All right, Jared. What do you got to say about it? It's Meat Month. Yep. We're going to be talking about... How you process a deer, what are you looking at when you kill an animal, how are you taking care of that meat Mm -hmm. in the field so that it is well-preserved for when you're ready to process it. Uh, If you're going to do it yourself, if you're going to take it to a processor, just kind of little tips and tricks on what we all do here. Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to dive right into it
2: well awesome i am so excited i know you're, i know
1: you're <laughs> excited you're special in many ways but uh, uh, when it comes to the, this topic you're especially special for for people you know maybe who don't know you what describe what you do on a, besides podcasting about hunting
2: gotcha when i'm not currently seeking out deer being a dad or, or being a an elementary pe teacher which you're is an the, elementary you, PE teacher best job you are in the world my, I am.
0: my wife does that She's she does? Yeah, she's a PE teacher at uh, Byron Christian. Where are oh, you? Oh, nice.
2: Right around the corner then. Mm-hmm. Where are you? I am at Dutton Elementary. I know. That's it. right down the road. Yep. The public school, not yep. the not the Christian That's school.
1: That's fine. That's uh, So, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. I pass what your don't house you do?
2: every day during the school year.
1: Really? Yeah. Are you going to have school this year?
2: That is a very, very good question. Our teachers We nervous? need more than a session to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> yep.
1: Well, maybe by the time this podcast goes out, COVID's cured. You ever think about that? It goes Make, out end of August. What if
3: venison cures COVID?
1: I, I'd be fine with it. Sorry, I derailed you. Um,
3: that would not be good for deer numbers. No. <laughs> no that's very true. No. We
1: would be wiping out deer pretty quick. And we'd have to figure out Let's something Let's cancel else. that idea yeah. right now. <laughs> Sorry. Cancel no. culture the hell out of that. Yeah, yeah. Shame them. All right. So your daily life, aside from physical education, which is new to me. Yeah.
2: My parents own a turkey farm in Middleville, and... It's the day-to-day process there is name of the turkey farm tomato turkey farm Okay, located in Middleville yep and we're a retail shop so if you need turkey head on down to middleville and you'll be able to find it we're open most of the week uh, except for Monday when we process ah. and that's where at least I've gotten my start with the meat industry is being is growing up basically yep. at the farm there we've we've raised the birds from infancy basically from a poult or a, a chick Mm-hmm. And raise that all the way through. Is a
1: poult unique to a turkey?
2: Yes, okay. the term, because like a chicken is a chick.
1: No, I've always called them chick like an idiot.
2: Sorry, right. it happens. <laughs> you Everybody idiot. answers an Oh, look at the chicks. It's like, well, they're no. poult. Wrong. It's so we, we do basically everything on site from raise them all the way through. We do our, we have a. Inspected facility that uh, we're able to process out of, yeah. and at the same time we also do retail right out of our our store. There's some specialty butcher shops that carry our stuff, and there's some restaurants. And I I don't have the list in front of me to even to list those out. But at the same time, we're able to provide a really natural, well, good quality piece of meat to the public. Yeah, and. You know, you can chase a wild turkey and have a great time out there hunting it and get yourself a good bird. Not everybody's gonna go ahead and do that. And so for us to make not only a fresh product that people can take home, throw it in the oven traditionally, or smoke it or do whatever they want to do, but we've also gotten into the cooking side ourselves. Yeah. And so we make a lunch meat and sausages and whole sort of products which I are can probably damn do good by the way. They are I'm a huge awesome. fan of that. I could be like Bubba Gump when it comes to turkey, you know, we just list off things. Turkey gumbo. Turkey gumbo, <laughs> turkey chili.
3: <laughs> how many head of turkeys do you guys have? We through that's our facility
2: <laughs> through our facility we can process up to twenty thousand birds. I'm sure some of these numbers are gonna be maybe a little off, so don't quote me exactly on these but anyway we can do roughly around that 20,000 mark through our facility because we are Michigan inspected not USDA inspected. Mm-hmm. There's another step that you can go with that requires a lot more and that's that's a lot of meat industry talk there at that point where you have to have an inspector on basically on at your facility at all times when you're processing yeah. and then at the same time you have different parameters that are basically more testing, more inspections throughout each product and with that, you can then be able to ship stuff throughout the US right. with a Michigan license, we've been grandfathered in where we can sell out of the state of Michigan. So someone from Illinois, someone from someplace can come to Michigan and buy it, but we can't go there and sell.
1: It's like half interstate commerce yes. at that point. Mm. Gotcha. Lately the meat industry has been in the news quite a bit. It has. COVID cases are pretty high. Why is that? Why is it so high in these meat packing plants?
2: Because at the same time, it's one of those, con- when you have a case of contamination, yeah. it's not a, well, let's, let's pull this person out, and now you've got the rest of the work still working on. It's a complete shutdown. And it's a complete sanitization of the facility. A lot of people are being either, you know, I don't want to say laid off, but they're putting on furlough at the same time. Like, you have to halt work for this to happen. And so facilities are shut down to be cleaned because of some of these parameters that the USDA or even a a state DA will put in on on a facility. And then at that point, there's been this halt in the chain. And the way the food market works or the food chain works here in the united states is growers grow the food they send it to an inspected facility that inspected facility creates the product the product goes to the grocery store you pick it up yeah that chain can be pretty long there's a lot of steps there's a lot of handling and when that gets interrupted for say the plant goes down the farmer cannot get or the rancher cannot get said product to you because that middleman isn't there right and that's where the big problem came up was that chain being halted at that point. Now, at the same time, they then pick back up and they start filling those orders. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, it's like dumping a, one beer into a 55-gallon drum. Right. Like, it's nowhere near full. You're going to have to continue to fill that can or that small vessel and throw as much as you can to try and make up for that. Mm. So that's where that shortage started. Yeah. From that you saw I think a lot of the US society, US way of life at that moment on how our relationship with food really become apparent because the food shortage was declared at the ready made foods being gone. Yeah. That's the interesting. rows in the center were empty. The frozen section was empty, but produce was there. Right. Veggies were still there. Meat was still there. And it wasn't until all the ready made stuff was gone that people started shifting over to the other the other thing too is restaurants took a huge hit at that point they can't get what they need to Right. they can't supply the people that normally come in there and so there was just this backlash of people not taking things into their own hands and being left now without and I don't want to say that they were without that they were starving but it was a zone of comfort that they have not been in yeah. or a mm-hmm. thing that they had to think about in a long time they didn't have to have a freezer. They didn't have to have a, a pantry stocked with certain things. They would get what they needed on a daily basis. Right. That was taken away, and then you saw folks in an urban setting or even a suburban setting panic. Right. They, they started to get the freezers. They started loading up on on meat. Where folks in an urban or excuse me, folks in a, in a rural setting that are used to having a half a cow in a freezer. Yeah or in the case of all of us sitting around here hunters that have got our stock of meat from the previous fall we're just now looking at that more like oh well i'm going to go through this deer quicker yeah. or i'm going to be able to su- sustain what i'm my my grocery visits now with a little more venison with a little more fish with a little more bird or whatever mm-hmm. that you got in there it was really a reaction to I'm uncomfortable. I can't do things the way that I want to do them. So now freezers were gone. Yeah. You were having people buy whole cows. I mean, even right now, slaughter facilities are oh, filled up. Oh, so backed up. They're backed up forever. Yep. And it's like, the other, you know, that animal, <laughs> they're putting this probably 16-month steer. He's ready to go. He's finished. Yep. But he's not getting in until October, so now you have to feed that critter until then but at the same time you, you don't get a backlog get, building up yeah you don't want to cut back on the feed because then he's going to lean out and you don't want to then keep feeding him as much because then he's going to get fat right. so there's just this extra added into every position that being said i think there's been a realization and i've talked to several people on my own podcast which uh, is plug it a sec the huntivore podcast nice. good podcast which they are now not necessarily freaking out about how can I sustain more food, but at least they're looking now at hunters. They're looking at the, our way of life and they're saying, you know what? They may be onto something Right. where, you know, my food chain right now is super long. What are some steps that I can take out of that? Yeah. How can I shorten that chain to make it more accessible in the case of our family at the farm, the food chain came through all the way through us because we've been licensed and certified to be able to grow, process, and create the product. We didn't have that backlog, right? Unlike gr- grocery chains that did.
1: Yeah, it's. I feel like it's exposing a thing about Americans in particular and their, the way that they consume food, which is just very different than it was not that long ago. Ready to ma- ready to eat meals. Things that, you know, in a tw- like I said, not that long ago, people had freezers full of a cow or were hunting and had their own meat and stuff like that. So it's wh- where do you where, do you see it headed back to like turning around or do you see Americans just not really learning from this? It's I'm, I say Americans because that's what I know. I, I right. assume this is happening elsewhere, too. But
2: for the grand scheme of things, let's keep things within the continental United States, because sure. yeah. that's what I understand as well. And I'm sure as us here, you know, for a while. Like, bread making was trending on all the social medias. People throwing out bread recipes or, like, baking bread for the first time. And being excited about it, being like, I just made my first sourdough loaf. Sourdough, Jared. woo! It's not just, make. you know, I had to let that sit and ferment. Like, that was so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, from what I can grab from this, I mean, even myself, I have a short-term memory. And after I get back to feeling comfortable, I don't remember the pains of... Until I have that pain come back again. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> but at the same time, I think there's going to be kind of a, there's going to be a little bit of an awakening. People are going to find hobbies within their food system that they're going to be able to do, whether it's backyard chickens or yeah. raising rabbits or becoming involved in a, in a co-op or even throwing in a garden. I know there's a lot of people that are throwing gardens in now yeah. that normally didn't do one. Right. I mean, even ourselves, uh, we moved into our house a couple years ago. Uh, we're at. Year three now in our house, and we're in the woods like you. Mm -hmm. Sunspace is, you know, really, as far as our landscaping goes, it really comes at a commodity. Yeah. And there was a lot of perennials. I said, Hostas, you're gone. All right. Tomatoes are going in. Peppers are going in. Yeah. You know, I usually put the garden someplace else. And we haven't done a garden this past couple of years just because there hasn't been the need. But I mean, even as someone with my food chain being short, I was like, you know what? I don't want to rely on the grocery store for all my produce. Let's throw those out there. And, my flower bed is going to work for me, yeah. not me work for the flower bed.
1: Well, it's interesting that you need like a, like an event to happen to kind of change your, your way. For me personally, and I, we talked a little bit about this in the podcast, I found out when I was a junior in college that I had all these food allergies. So I had to figure out how to not eat gluten or dairy, and then I had all these other things that were piled on top of it, which just kind of sucked. But what it started kind of in motion was this total change in the way that I do food right and so now i'm to the point where all almost 95 percent of my food either comes from a csa because i don't i'm in the woods i don't and plus i don't have a whole lot of time to, to garden and don't have much interest in doing it but literally five minutes that way there's an organic farm that i get all my produce from my cow comes from someone right in middleville by you crane dance farms other other than the ones the stuff that i shoot and i ferment i mean right now i've got three different things from that are fermenting right now right um and broth always going things like that which was just totally foreign to me not that long ago but but like you said it's something has to happen for you to want to do that otherwise i was i was you know i was eating nerds my my go-to food was nerds like i just ate tons of them (laughs) nerds and gummy bears and you know like I, i didn't know how to cook and now i love to cook and so yeah like you said people making bread hopefully that's where we're headed which is interesting and then going back to kind of what we're talking about here it's there's a Renewed focus on procuring your own meat, which as hunters is something we've been doing for a long time. It's, we talked about on the podcast. I keep saying that, but Jared and I ate—that's how we ate in college. Like we literally shot a bunch of deer, and we—that's what we ate on all year. So yeah, it's an interesting time. And I figured you'd have an interesting perspective, especially with everything.
2: Yeah, going on. and it's to watch people, to watch their level of panic. Because I would be in the store, and you know, now I'll, I'll be working the storefront at this point. And, you know, we got our masks, we got our gloves, yeah. and everybody's spreading out. But there was a level of tension that was in that store. It's not very big, but at the same time, there'd be three people in there, and just the, the, the looking over the shoulder at each other. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a distrust, but it's like that is a potential danger. The that fabric is of threat. society
1: is starting to just unravel a little bit. There's and a ripple in the pond.
3: You yes. watch
2: yes. people's reaction to... Either A, that you can fulfill their need or not be able to fill that (laughs) need. We got to a point where we normally process once a week. And during those first three weeks when everything hit and then the panic started of food being gone, that we started to process twice because the store would wipe out literally of food or of, of turkey products person would come in and be like i need 10 pounds of ground and it's like didn't i see you like on tuesday (laughs) right where did that other 10 pounds i'm not asking i'm not telling you these people but it's it's one of those things like oh I'll, i'll get it to you next week yeah and you could just see the anxiety well up well can you guarantee that next week well i'm making it Actually my brother will be making it on Sunday. He'll be taking his Sunday in order to grind them so that it can be ready. And it's like, Well, I just need I need to have like can I like put my name on it? Can I pay for it now? And there was just this level of urgency that people were really they wanted more, they wanted it guaranteed, they wanted it now.
1: What a weird view of food that is so unique to right now. Like when else in history have we demanded so much security when it comes to where our food comes from and when we have it like i demand that i know what's gonna be here the next couple of months and it needs to be in my pantry and it needs to be easy to make right mm-hmm. for
3: 99 percent of the population it was a guaranteed comfort commodity right until exactly. three months ago That's yep.
1: freaking weird and like it wasn't and this is like the industrialization of food and we can go far down into that but like not that long ago it was just like well this week, this is the food we have that came out of the garden. We'll see what comes next week. And, you know, we're still eating on food that we killed this fall. So going back to that, let's 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 get back into the meat care.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. That was a great tangent, by the way. I love that because it does, it kind of gives an urgency, both to hunters. Yeah. It just validates what we are doing because I think folks at, at one end, they were still on the Bambi track that yeah. you, I've personified this animal. I see this animal as a pet. I see this animal more than just a living creature or God's living creature. It is amazing. It is glorious. Yeah. But at the same time, we are meat eaters. We didn't get here by just eating vegetation. Right. You know, yeah, we started out scavenging, and now we were, we've got the capabilities to, to take these animals. So when you do take one, it's, you know, people... It is. It's polarizing. Yeah. People either love you or hate you. And then I think through this, not having the panic come from our set of folks in our lifestyle, I think that was a good... I don't know, bridge yeah. to help open the conversation to folks. Because then at that point, they're like, you're just saying f- it food for a reason. You just want to go You want to kill, and this is your excuse. This, yes. And now to see us not panic because our freezers are full, they're like, okay, they mean it. Mm-hmm. Well, and it,
1: it's it's opened up conversations about many different types of, types of things that you're eating. Like, there's the deer, which seems like people are more and more okay with. And then there's like, oh, you know, I was telling somebody I, I I shoot back in here a bunch of squirrels and I'll eat them all the time or rabbits or we're talking about going bear hunting, right? And it's just people suddenly there's a new line and there's like, well that's that's out of the question and you can't you can't eat a bear. Well, why not? And then there's not really a good reason. It's just like I have got a more of a connection to that weird a weird connection to that that I don't have with the deer cuz it has hooves. Yeah. Know, you know. So, yeah, it's just a it's yeah. an interesting time to have meat months. So, Jared, you know, you did a good job picking. You know what? Everything happens for a reason. I'm usually right. Yeah, it's true. It He's <laughs> <is laughs> really usually right. So no, I'm just saying you say it. So we obviously we're we're talking down the line in terms of food, right? We're talking finished meat, cut up, yeah. in the freezer. Uh, we all know the most important step is like right after the kill. What do you do with that that animal, Joe? You put a you get you're out you're going to what, Montana. You got mm-hmm. some tags in your pocket. You put down a I'm thinking a 340 class bull. Mm-hmm. Take a hundred off of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got. Forty in it somewhere, yeah, yeah. at least forty. Maybe um, a total of forty. We'll see. <laughs> Slobber coming out of
2: its mouth,
3: yeah. screaming. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just like a dinosaur.
1: Hey, out Hey, maybe there. they're out there, man. They're out we'll there. See. So you put one down. What do you do? What's your first? What do you do? What's your first move? I gotta get
3: the gram taken care of first. Yeah. Take yeah. You pictures. That's well, a, are, do you lay next
1: to it on the ground? Are you one of those guys? <laughs> no, that
3: I'm not. I'm a I'm a grip and grin. I'll yeah. be a grip and grin in my bitter end do you have no problem with the grip and grin I applaud the grip and I grin I do too yeah. I love it I, I see no reason not to be happy with if, it if
1: you shoot it with your gun do you lay your gun on the, the thing or do you just do it with
0: a bow
3: I have I've done both with and both without when so I shoot the, with a the bow the weapon's not a big thing for me unless it's a stick bow you know that oh the, it's going right dude, there so my, the first year I shot with a stick bow I was not only holding it I was pumping that thing yeah. above my head like <laughs> it was a trident yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no.
1: stick and string baby yeah, I, I feel you there. So so you, you 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 take care of the gram. You know, your followers are happy. What next? I'm
3: just kidding by that, by the way. <laughs> but but um, not really. Yeah, but not really. So assuming I shoot an elk again this year, there's a lot of different factors to it. Temperature being the biggest one. How far in is a big one. Mm-hmm. The very, almost without exception, the first thing I do with an elk is get the freaking hide off of it. They have a very thick hide that is a meat trap. Or excuse me, it's a meat trap too. It is a heat trap. and i always get the hide off first get the animal quartered out if it's hot out do you take off the hide before you quarter absolutely okay Yep. Yep. so i do a gutless method with an elk and with with elk it's a little bit different because if you shoot him on a steep hillside and he rolls into a dead fall it's not like a whitetail you can just drag it up out of right you have to kind of start skiing it from where you can get to play it as it lies You, (laughs) you can move him around a little bit sometimes but a lot of times you're by yourself and you kind of just have to deal with the, the cards you're dealt. Yeah. But just, just for,
2: for perspective, again, I'm, here I am from middle of the mitten. Yeah. What, what weight are we talking about on these things? Because part of me is like, it's not as big as a like steer, but at the same time it is dumb near close as far as what weight are these critters on the hoof?
3: They can vary a ton. Roosevelt elk on the West coast. I've never shot one, but I've, I've seen enough video of them. They're monstrous. Yeah. I can tell you, the, I shot a cow in Wyoming, I got 212 pounds of deboned finished meat off of that, and the bull I shot last year, I got 241 pounds of deboned meat off of that. So, Jeez, off wait. on a hoof, they can be anywhere from 500 to 1,000. I mean, the elk on a Fogneck Island are 1,100 pounds. Those big old, old thick boys.
1: Th- not big yeah. antlers, but thick. No, not historically,
3: stout. no. Rosies as a whole don't have typically the antlers that the Rockies do, but they are a Beast of an animal,
2: and that's thick with two C's.
3: Yeah, that's a good Th- kind of thick. <laughs> yeah, thick boys. Yeah. Thick. Um, but yeah, get the hide off of it. Nine times out of ten, what I'll try to do is get the get the hind quarter off first if I can. Okay. That femoral bone, the femur, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. That stores a ton of meat or a ton of heat. When you start taking the meat off of that bone, like it's it's hot to the touch. I don't so know.
1: you're deboning the femur. Or are you just cutting it off? At I'm, I'm taking
3: I'm taking it completely quartered out first, so I okay. get all the quarters separated. Yep. Following and in. If, if so, the possible, ball is
2: still that you've basically cut the H bone, the socket out, and correct. so the ball is exposed now at this point.
3: Yep. I'm basically just taking the entire legs off, hacking it off at the the knees essentially. Yeah. And then getting it hung if if possible. If there's trees around or getting it into a, just a place where I can get air moving through it or around it as much as I can. Yeah. Elks. So we're 98.6 and elk's a 104. I just heard that on a podcast the other day. I don't know why that's as relevant, but they're hot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they hot. So getting air moving all around it is super important. Laying it flat on something, the bottom side, like if you were to just lay a quarter down, the first spot to rot is going to be the bottom of that quarter because it's not getting the air. Right. So if you can get it hanging, tie it up, just getting it up and away from the body will cool that meat down significantly. Even if it's 70 degrees out, there's a 30 degree temperature yeah. swing there. That's going to save you some time. If you're going to, there's an argument for taking that those back hams out, deboned and leaving the bone in. There's good arguments for both of them. The first elk that I shot in Wyoming, I left the bone in. The elk that I shot in Montana, I deboned the whole thing. The argument for keeping the bone in is that's essentially keeping all that meat in place. Mm-hmm. And if you take a cut Somewhere through that ham, yeah, basically just getting some air to that femur bone, that'll give it a, some place for some heat escape off of that bone. Mm-hmm. So bone rot is the thing that you're trying to beat first. There's all these different elements that you're trying to avoid. Dirt getting in the meat, flies, mm-hmm. all the whole larva crap like that. But the first thing you got you got to fight is the heat and yeah. getting, that, getting that meat to cool down. One thing that I always have in my pack is a space blanket not for the sole purpose of having a space blanket in a survival situation, but if you lay a space blanket out, you have some place that you can lay the meat as you're kind of working. Yeah, it's like a table. Yep, exactly. Keeping it somewhat clean, clean as you can. And then getting it all into game bags to protect it from flies, larvae, dirt, shit like that. Yeah, I use them. They're a little bit heavier, but if I'm... Hunting during the archery season in September, it can get really hot during the day. Yeah. And there's a lot of insects, so I use an antimicrobial-treated game bag that I hang all this stuff in. Gotcha. Another thing that buys you a little bit of time. Sure. If you don't have that, the meat will crust over. That's okay. You're going to lose a little bit of the meat with it, but...
1: Peel it or skin it right off. Yep.
3: It kind of almost looks like like a raw bacon or a... You know, if you, like, take a crappy jack slink jerky and like hold it up to the sun it's yeah. kind of translucent it looks a lot like <laughs> that yeah, yeah. okay that's one thing that does happen and it is okay i try to avoid that no personally i know some guys that just let it crust but i imagine you're losing a little bit of meat by by doing that my first elk crust in the pile of crust that i pulled off of that i wasn't happy with because i felt like that was waste waste yeah hmm. but it was Ninety degrees that day when I shot it, so I didn't have what else you to do much of a choice. Yeah, so lose the you,
2: whole thing or lose a little bit of the rind on the outside. Yeah. Just you know. a little
3: bit of the rind. I've never lost. I'll about kill myself making sure I don't lose elk meat. That's like, I don't, I don't know why I hold it to such a higher standard than everything else. But elk meat to me is like I'll break my legs getting into the truck in time if I have to. Well, you work so hard It'll for it. You effort. wait all year. <sighs> there's, yeah. there's just something in and yeah, it's like delicious. A, yeah, but there's just something about the animal too. Like I'm, and I, I'll never intentionally waste it a deer hind or anything like that or a quarter or anything like that but for some reason elk is just like this standard that i put on this high shelf i'm not quite sure why so
1: you're boneless now are you you is that your uh i'm
3: not i'm not set on one way i think it's very situational Mm -hmm. if it's if it's cold out we did the math the other day if you keep the bone in it's roughly an extra 40 pounds that you're hauling out It's, it's substantial yeah if it's warm out, I'm probably going to slit down to that femur bone to let the heat escape and keep it intact. Get it in a game bag and go. Yeah. This past October, when I shot my elk, it was negative 17 degrees. So I basically just was leisurely putting meat in a game bag and forming it so that it fit my pack well, yeah. and it was frozen in no time. Yep, yeah, hard and as a rock. Yeah. Yeah. Which that <laughs> that presents its own challenges too. Actually, there's that's almost too cold.
1: Because <laughs> you're trying, you have to thought take it apart and yeah just
3: getting it ready to go home after that or try to separate it after the fact to get onto a plane or get into a cooler or whatever but get getting it cooled down is the most important thing how how you take the animal apart after that back quarter i think i think the back quarters are probably the most important thing to get off and cool down the quickest yeah there's a ton of meat there that's dense and that bone like it's it's ridiculous how hot that bone is when you take that thing out it's it's 104 man 104 yeah, I didn't know that until I, I forget the podcast I was listening to. but Are you a heart guy? Yeah, absolutely. Tongue? I haven't done the tongue yet. I'll, I'll, the whole call fat tongue, the tendon behind the eyeball that tastes like pizza I dough. I, I tried I, that. I, that. I, I kind of made fun of those guys for that stuff in the past, but I'm going to try that stuff this year.
1: Might as well. I mean, I've mean, i always been a heart guy. Yeah, heart is, heart so is freaking good.
2: Mm-hmm. I will have an argument for the tongue. There's a... I don't know how to say it in Spanish, but there's a specific taco that's made Del with yes. Yeah. I had that. There's a little joint out of Holland. It was a little red brick building. Yep. A buddy of mine took me to it and that's what I ordered. Was that? And I just no picked kidding. something, went to it. I tell you what, I I mean, I ate those 3 tacos and I wanted more. And yeah. I was like, huh. "What is like what's the meat?" And the lady was just kind of like, "Was it good? Did you like it? Do you care what it what it's in it?" And I'm like, "I just want to know." And she's like, "Tongue." Yeah. It was beef tongue at that point, yeah. but I was like, Hot damn, I am keeping it's just every tongue mm-hmm. after I, that.
1: I just had tongue last week, cow tongue. Every time I go get my cow, like, you'd be surprised. A lot of people don't take the tongue you know, when they get a cow. But the first time I did it, I did a couple of deer tongues because they're so small. Yeah. I had, like, three deer tongue and a cow tongue. Yeah, they're super tender, and I smoke them. You smoke, a, uh, you smoke it, and then you reverse sear it. Man.
3: The shape's a little weird. It, yeah. yeah. well, yeah, it's I a little I, off-putting. What
1: I do is, especially for serving to people, I just... I, I uh, before I reverse, I really kind of flash fry it in a pan mm-hmm. with some oil and I just, so I can crisp it up a little bit and I just do little, little cuts of it. So you can't re- it's not in the, the, it's, tongue not really in like, the yeah, it's not in the, yeah, it's not like <laughs> just
2: flipping around sitting there on the plate. <laughs> well, if they <laughs> see <laughs> you
1: cut the tongue part out, you have to, you know, blanch it or whatever yeah. first. Yeah. I, I showed my mom a couple of days ago, I was at, up at her house and I made this and my mom and dad and uh, they saw me that part of it and that they didn't have any <laughs> like that was the uh take <laughs> like, like, nah. off the taste buds a little well bit. it's those weird little things that come off cow tongues they're like little
3: little feeler looking guys yeah, yeah. they're okay they're off-putting yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah yeah they're off-putting so yeah okay so nick when you put a deer down this is a very you know obviously we're talking elk to deer different scenario right because deer you can take out whole and let it hang which you know personally is is what i prefer to do if possible correct Right. What, what's your uh, what's your go-to method? You shoot one, you know, you get it out. You Say you have the option to hang it whole. Is that what you're doing?
2: It is. I'm opening that cavity up, and everything's coming out. Now, that fifth quarter, again, you can – there's a lot of things to pick out of there. And I know we were what's talking – What's the fifth quarter? The necker. The fifth quarter is referring to the gut. Oh, so okay. So that's your – I mean, there's the quarters, and then there's the quote-unquote fifth quarter. Yeah. Because you are taking things from that heart. I'm feeling you. Traditionally, I mean, yeah, you me get either. the you know you've
3: never heard of that no. the fifth quarter, no.
2: Yeah, because there is so much you can take. There's so much that you can do. Now mm-hmm. you are getting into old world cooking. You're getting yeah. over into Europe, where the Scottish haggis is a great point. where ah, yes. You're throwing heart, lungs, and you're throwing that into the stomach of itself. Have you made that? Not yet. Oh, dude, that's our there's guess. That's gonna so we're be we doing the that attempt. this year. But see, but then you also have tripe, which is basically the intestine, or no, it's the stomach wall. But then at the same time, sausages. Where do those come right. from? Yep. Intestines. So given the amount of time and care and what you want to keep, you've put that animal down. The golden like scenario, mm-hmm. and luckily, knock on knock on this brick here, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been able to do that three three years in a row where I watch the animal fall. Yeah. And it's like, hallelujah. Thank, yeah. thank you, Lord. So I get the animal, pull it out, and everything there is still viable. Liver, pull that out. Now, you, li- a, you a liver guy? I do love liver. I shouldn't uh. say I – it's not something I want to have every day. Yeah. But as far as, like – I mean, when people talk about a celebratory meal, they're going to jump to – they're going to say, oh, I'm going to have the back the straps, tenderloins. The I'm going to have the back straps. Yeah. But at the same time, like, there is so much flavor going on with that liver, and it is so intense. It's like, a
1: lot of – it's an intense That's a good way mm-hmm. to
2: – it is Describe. a celebration in itself. And the thing is, is it's hard, like, unless you're on top of it, unless you are right there when that animal falls, that, like, you find it that night, that's the time to take it. Okay. And it's not something, you can freeze it, and, of course, you can keep it yeah. for a long period of time. And I've been able to do that. But at the same time, there's nothing better than cutting a lobe off and then that be what's served at deer camp, where yeah. now you're sharing it with everybody. you
1: liver and onions guy? And Is I throw in do?
2: peppers.
3: Oh, you throw in peppers. Nice. Yeah, I can see that. Have you ever done tartar? I did that for the first time the other day.
2: Really? I've that's not done the tartar cold. just because I would be the only one eating it. Uh, <laughs> and that's a lot of tartar off of, <laughs> <laughs> of a heart. Well,
3: how'd you, you, what's the seasoning you put on it? So it was like an Italian vinaigrette. It's yeah. really simple. So correct me if I'm wrong. But once it's frozen for two weeks there's no chance of bacteria as long as it hasn't touched anything bile right
2: on the surface you can have stuff on the inside if it was a pre-existing like let's say it had heartworm that I mean oh, it would probably be it would probably be dead at that point but it wouldn't be like gone okay uh, so I'm fine with that yeah Basically, okay. you're, you're, I've had giardia
3: yes. before. I'll be alright. Have you? <laughs> for, for the basic
2: stuff, the you'd be good. Oops. Or like yeah. the what's the one that uh, has uh, cysts in your muscles?
1: trigonosis. Tr- 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 tr-
2: trichinosis that's that that's that one is? that's got to go for 2 weeks so you'd be basically well, you're good that's
3: bear right bear yeah, is trichinosis i would never you can't do that with bear it's no. got to be cooked to 165
1: it's like 97% of trichinosis or something comes from people that are eating bear you got to cut that <laughs> or you got to cook that good
3: or some sort of predator yeah yeah, yeah i
2: say i big. heard the mountain lions have quite a bit of that yep. too mm-hmm.
1: so anyway so you're you're putting a, a italian
3: italian vinaigrette red wine was was like a liquid smoke kind of thing, but it oh, wasn't yeah. liquid smoke. It's really simple. That's pretty much it. And you're Some cutting seasoning.
1: real thin or not too thin? You're, um, skip,
2: you're skipping the yolk? You're not putting the yolk on there? With
3: Egg yolk? Egg yolk, no.
2: No? You're golden? missing out. Really? Yeah. There's your fat element right there. Okay, mm. so, so you've done the acid, oil, <laughs> you've done the oil, but now you need to drop that yolk on the top of okay, it. That's, mm. why we, that's, that's why we have you say. here. <laughs> yeah, I, that, <laughs> fat kid in the corner here to tell you what's going on. <laughs> he knows, right? Never he did tried. bring the food tonight. <laughs> yeah, he,
3: and explain that a little bit. We yeah. did not really talk about that. Yeah, before. that's a good good call. Uh,
2: ex- the yolk or the no, the, the food? food you brought. This oh, I just brought spread. some. Again, I brought my my charcuterie board over here. Charcuterie. Chuc- we don't know. Shmorgasbord. So if
1: whoever's listening, first one to write in, Jared will give you his bow as a prize. Wow. <laughs> Just the wow. Look on, his eyebrows hit the top of his head it's, when you said that. It's all tuned and sighted and everything. <laughs> You're good to go.
2: But anyway, I basically brought venison in three forms here, two of which got on the on the board, and, and uh, the third is over here wrapped in foil. I've got a smoked pastrami that I've made off of a bottom round of venison. What's the bottom round? Which part of the deer? That's in the hindquarter. So yep. as we were talking about, he was talking the, the the femur. That would be actually attached to that femur. That's one of those muscles yep. that, that are there. I wish I could show a picture. That's the tough part about podcasts. Mm-hmm. I,
1: pa- you're, you're painting a verbal picture. I'm,
2: that's what I'm trying to do. So anyway, of those muscle groups, one of them is the bottom round, and it does a damn good job at making a smoked product and like a pastrami like this where you can then add the crust on the outside and then slice that thin. Yep. That is something that you could find in a Jewish deli right there. That that's yep. just awesome to have. So I, I really like that recipe. And that's a, I think that I got that one off the Hunter Angler Gatherer Cook. That's our man, Hank Shaw. Oh, I, I have his books. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. The man is a legend. Yep. So I got that recipe off, off of him on that and I just smoked it over charcoal and hickory. Dang, that was a great product.
0: That was delicious.
2: The jerky is my own kind of concoction. I'm sure somebody else already has it made up. But anyway, I went with a smoked maple on that one. <laughs> and it. I think the venison really pops out in that. Like, you definitely take a bite of it, and you're like, this is not beef jerky, but in a good way.
1: Yep. Are you smoke, You're smoking your jerky? You're not, you're not like... Um...
2: I liquid smoked the jerky just because, as of right now, I don't have a great dehydrator. No. No. I do have a convection oven, and that has turned out to actually be. You just pop open the. Yeah, I just yep. I actually put a bolt and a magnet so that it basically triggers I've the fan that. in the back. Yep. And I'm actually really happy with that setup. I had one of the ones that sit on your countertop. Yep. And it would just either it would either be too hot or not move enough air, and I just I didn't like it. And I went to that because now we have an electric oven, and that thing is just top notch. So that's how I did that, and then. The hot dogs is not your normal, like, brat style where you take ground meat, mix it with spice, shove it it in a casing. I actually had to go to an emulsification. So before any of the listeners go ahead and, like, look up how you make hot dogs, be careful because you're probably not going to (laughs) want to eat a hot dog after (laughs) that. You might have a bad
0: time. You're going to have a
2: bad time. (laughs) But what you're doing is you're emulsifying liquid, fat, and meat into a slurry. I know that's a terrible word. How are
1: you emulsifying it? What are you
2: so after, emulsifier. I've, emulsifier? Emulsifier, after I've ground it fine yeah. several times through the grinder, and mind you, you got to keep this stuff super cold. Yeah. Right. Or else it gets it, it muddy, murky, and, and oh, yeah. it ain't going to do no good. So you are having to keep this as cold as possible. So I would go through a grind and then immediately 30 minutes into the freezer, and if I didn't feel quite right, yep, another 30 to sit in there. It's a long process in a home setting. Yeah, right. Then by adding ice water... And little bits and batches at a time, you put it through your food processor, and you basically just whip it up into a really fine slurry, slurry paste. Yeah. At that point, it's still frigid cold. Pull that out, throw it back in the freezer because each whip of that that blade going through there heats that stuff up. You're right. You're right. Okay. Friction. So keeping that as cold as possible, and then I then put it into a casting, smoked it, and then man, it came out as an awesome product. You do. I can tell on. A Little bit of it that there's a little bit of graininess, and that was caused by temperatures not being as cold as how I should have had them. Now they were still at a very safe temperature, but it was just I, I was like, at
1: sorry, doesn't bother me that much. Well, that's good. Well, the reason I say is, and I actually goes back to your liver, I got everybody found out I like I've been eating liver. So, everybody that I know that got cow just started giving me their livers, and I just <laughs> got so much of it. <laughs> got a and yeah, they're dude. huge. Oh, the cow liver is 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 big. And so, what we dig, so I'm like, well, it's a, definitely a good source of, of iron. Mm-hmm. So, I, I blended it up in the Vitamix, and I made ice cubes out of it. Nice. And I literally will pop it into, like, a, a, a soup, or, like, if I'm making burgers, I'll just throw one in. You you put it in a bunch of burger, you can't really taste it, and it... It's just how I'm working through all that without having to throw all of, it, all of it away.
2: When you do end up with, like, stuff, yeah, like we were talking stuff from the fifth quarter. We, I mean, we got on a, off a huge tangent t- here, but bringing it back around to the fifth quarter, it's like yeah. that stuff really is, like, it, especially with, like, the liver at that point, it's so big, but at the same time, it's got a shelf life that's much smaller than, say, some of those prize cuts. Yeah. So finding ways that you can then use such nutrient-rich pieces yeah. of meat is a great way, mixing it in with a burger for a, a pate or something, or even finding a way to then take that liver and make pate, another yeah. emulsification that we're yeah, talking that about. C-
1: what, crestnut, bacon, yeah, that what bacon, liver. You know, back in the day, people didn't take vitamins, like... Organs were vitamins, right? D. My daughter's reading. The, have you guys ever read My Side
2: of the Mountain? I love that book series.
1: Right, great book. The kid at one point goes and decides to live in the mountain, right, by himself. He catches a, a, a hawk and names it Frightful. And uh, at one point, he just he, a guy, a, a hunter, shoots a deer and it dies in front of him. He grabs it, and the first thing the kid, I think, it, it could be a little bit off, but the kid eats basically the liver as one of the first things. And his body is basically telling him to eat it because he's liver uh, he is uh, iron deficient, mm. um, and so it's just kind of interesting to see. Like, I mean, that is historically how we've gotten iron, um, and one of the first things people eat, like you said, when you when you when you kill something.
3: You yeah. mentioned about the shelf life of liver. So if I've yeah. never I've never taken liver off of an elk, is there anything I need to do differently if I'm if I shoot an elk eight miles in? Is there something I should do differently with the liver other than just throw in a game bag with the rest of the stuff? Is there...
2: I probably... Well, just being by the texture of it, it's going... I mean, it's going to be running hot, just like anything else on the inside of that critter. Right. And given its texture, you might want to make sure that that's in a bag by itself, or at least not being compressed, because at that point, it's going to get blungent by... Like, let's say you put it in the bottom of a, a bag, and then you throw a shank on top of it, and it's... It, it doesn't hold, I mean, it is a muscle, but the same, or a, an organ, but it doesn't have the same rigidity as, say, a muscle would have. It's yeah.
3: almost kind of spongy. It's a filter, essentially, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the bottom of the game bag and the bottom of the pack with 100 pounds of meat on top of it's probably not going to fare well for a liver. Right. Yeah, good, right. Good point.
2: Best thing I think would probably be after that is as, as you're opening that critter up, buddy, over you to you is. Getting his his mess kit out, making a small fire, getting the jet boil or something going, and you guys slice off pieces of it and have it right then and there. That's my like,
3: problem. I don't have any buddies. No. <laughs> well, shoot! If you need somebody, I'll yeah, carry yeah, one. Man, Let's yeah. go. You, you, I got to uh, imagine <laughs> an elk liver's got to look like a freaking bat wing. Like just I would think so. Trash can lids. It's got to be huge. I'll kind of I'll find out the. You know, I'm hopefully. thinking.
2: I'm just trying to go on like how I've picked one up. I bet you a deer, a white-tailed deer liver is probably. Some worms are like three to five pounds, like take that and multiply it the, by the size of an elk. You're looking at probably like a ten pound vessel <laughs> at that point.
3: I've never, I guess, weighed how much meat I've gotten off of a deer. I'm trying to think percentage wise how much bigger an elk truly is. I think
1: I feel like it's it can be anywhere from like sixty to eighty pounds.
3: Is that right? Eighty pounds of bone meat's a lot. That's a big deer. That's a big deer.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Well, I've never weighed, weighed it. I I know that I I feel like I've heard of it. Like some of my family members will bring it into a processor, but mm-hmm. we do it our. I just always do it myself, so right. I never think to weigh it. Yeah, I got to do that. We got to get a scale. That's
2: the other thing too, is when you get a chance to then cut your own animal, you re- you really appreciate a what the processor can do if that's something you then choose to go towards. But at the same time, you always have the guys that have gone to processors forever, and they're like, ah, that dude keeps you know probably half my back strap. Or yeah. I went in with a huge buck and I got thirty pounds in this box. Like that dude just kept half of it. He's a crook. I'm never going back home right. again. Or this and thing tastes like sage.
3: Yeah, yeah. I shot right. A corn deer. I At know this is time, not the same deer that I shot.
2: <laughs> At the same time, once you go through that butchering process, between yeah, pulling out the gut, pulling out the hide, you know, your monst- monstrous animal is going to whittle on down. Yep. That's not to mention the. The loss of far, as far as fat that you're not going to use or silver skin or even blood meat for that moment. There might be a shoulder that you can't use a big you portion it of. it out and it's gross. You know, yeah. I, I was just to talking to a processor on that and she's like, if you want me to keep, you know, it, she's talking her interactions with other hunters. You know, you didn't, I, I'm missing a shoulder in here and it's like, honey, you shot it with a out 6 Yeah. You know, if you want it, fine. But there ain't nothing, you, you're going to have the most gritty, awful, bony burger ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That you blow apart that shoulder or like a shotgun you know you get a 12k yeah, exactly you, you're gonna have a bit you're gonna have a bad time with that one of those shoulders <laughs> what do you do jared what's your what's your what's one key thing you do right after the shot whatever right after you find the deer
0: i think That's, it's what everyone else is just kind of touching on is just cooling that meat down. It down yep whatever you can if i when i do come up on the deer that i shot it's it's getting the hide off like joe was saying and then typically what We'll do just quarter it out and just pack it up, take off what we need out of it, and yeah, especially if going. we're like boating back in or mm-hmm. like
4: yeah.
2: yeah. That's it probably sucks. the big difference between like a yeah like a private land guy like I like I come up, come from, and then where you guys are on public land. You got to hike that thing yeah. for a long yep. ways. Where on the private lo- land side of it, I just got to get it to a a, a main access. That I can either get a gator back. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, there's been times too where I haven't been. You know, I can't get anybody on the phone. It's late at night. I'm not going to call anybody. I'll I, I drag it back. But at you the call same time, anytime. Oh, we'll, we'll do.
3: We're dra- I, we like to drag. So I'm yeah. always down for a drag and a nice. post celebration. Me too. Mm-hmm. That's the best.
2: And I think going from that experience, I am one to given the right parameters. Like again, like if it's early October and it's I mean 65 degrees in the middle of the night and it's yeah. going to be 75 the next day. I'm going to have to figure something out. We're going to have to go with plan B, getting it in the fridge, quartering it out. Yeah. But I like to keep the hide on... And I'm talking a whitetail at this point. I'm not talking to yeah. milk. Just because of the protection that it does give. Sure, yep. Oh, absolutely. You're yep. talking the rind that's making, you know, it's even sitting in those antimicrobial bags. You get a rind going, and that's going to be meat loss. Whereas if I hang that deer up and I'm going to leave him there seven days yeah. in my barn, like, granted, I mean, I got my workbench a little ways away, yep. and it's it's not by dirty by any means. But at the same time, it's like in an environment where if I can keep 85% of this covered, I'm going to end up with a better product. Now, I do have to prop open that rib cage. Yeah. I do have to, if you know, if it's going to be that warm, throw a bag of ice down in that chest yep. and then cut a hole down in its brisket so that I can have water leach back out of it so it's not pooling. Yep. But find a way to, like, just like you guys were saying, bring that temperature down mm-hmm. and then find a way to just protect that meat. Yes. So I
3: heard this from a butcher before, and I don't know if there's any truth to this or not. I'm, I don't honestly typically do it. If you're hanging a deer, letting it drain its cold out, letting it age, whatever, do you take it off, and I don't know the technical terms, hack it off at the forearm, knees a off? A shank or I've, whatever. I've heard if you take, and it makes sense, I guess, for the bottom of the leg because the tarsal gland and stuff is there. If you hack all that off, does that take some of the, I don't want to say, gamey flavor is such a yeah. nasty oh, put it. Yeah. word because that's not the right, you know what I'm saying. Though. Yeah. yeah, that flavor.
2: They're, you're going to have people on both sides that, that talk about that. Honestly, I think leaving it on is not going to affect it. What you're going to have affect it is if somehow a gland or something you're like that, that gland. rupture it that, yes. and have that leach onto the meat because then that's a, that's a problem. But at the same time, if that gland gets left in, because I know if you don't take apart your hindquarter, there are glands in there. As you seem seen, butcher those out. You'll see this gray, greenish glump of, looks like fat. That's mm-hmm. a gland right there. Yep. If you were just to take that whole leg and roast it, at some point, somebody's going to eat that, and that oh. is definitely <laughs> and you're going gonna to be off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a bad time. You want to <laughs> know where your gamey is? It's right there. Yeah. So as far as it being an internal thing, yes, it is. Hormones are running crazy, and there is scent coming off of it. it I, th- I would say as long as it's not being exposed to the meat itself, you're going to be all right. Hmm. A lot of guys take those off, A, Old world, that's the way that they did it. But at the same time, when you hang something up from the ceiling, you don't want to have the hooves kicking around just being in the way. So you knock it right right at that It's easy to pull the skin off, too, at that point. Yes. Once Mm -hmm. you can knock that off at the joint, you're then able to pull that off. But yeah, don't also don't cut that Achilles that's back there because you're gonna need that to hang. Yep,
3: she's gonna fall if you do that. I've done she's that. She's gonna <laughs> fall. She's going for a ride. Yeah, she. Well, what? it's
1: it's funny that Achilles going back to Jared and I quartered stuff out <laughs> before we ever got into like nice backpacks and all that stuff. We would just carry the deer out and quartered. You know, like we'd have like an old. I had an old navy backpack that I throw throw some of the meat in, and I would cut the like the the hide between the Achilles and the leg. And use it like as handles, remember that? Yep. And I just remember, like, you're, by the end of it, it's like farmer carries. Your, your forearms are killing you. Yeah. And just, like I feel like an idiot walking around. Well, that's how I
0: carried out my October buck this year. I've got a
1: you picture did? on Instagram of that. I was going to
2: say, I believe there was one where there, there's a stick across yep. your back. Yep,
0: <laughs> I found a stick. Uh, there was a
2: heavy flex on one oh, of the arms. Oh,
0: so heavy flex. Dude, he <laughs> flexes up all the time. Man. <laughs> but yeah, it's just... Taking it out, but one thing I did dabble into this year is
3: dry aging. Oh, yeah. Speaking mm-hmm. of the rind, before I
1: had a pack, uh, he's got it. What
3: I are re- those straps? Back- back- I ratchet strapped it to myself.
1: That is that is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, show him that. That re- that is awesome. I regret that decision. Did no. it hurt? Hell yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How do you breathe? I ratchet strapped to myself. No shit it hurts. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Was the ratchet like right in front of you? Is that like right your here. adjustment? <laughs> click click get <at> the chest. <laughs> you know, it's just the, the, it says that was my chest hair. The things you have to do chest hair catch a nipple inside know. that spring.
1: Any, no. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> That's hilarious. So you're dry aging. Yeah, dry aging
0: is a whole new game.
1: That is
2: something up. you gotta be on it. You gotta yeah, be you prepared.
0: Yep. So I actually bought a fridge off Craigslist just an old crappy fridge that someone took out of an old apartment. I stripped all the shelves all the shelves and all the drawers out of there and got some angle iron from a local hardware store, cut it to size so that I could hang these legs in there. Installed a little fan and made sure that the temperature and the humidity was all right and that meat turned out so stinking good, soft because of the when you let it age like that, the enzymes in the meat naturally start to break down the meat and just give it a more robust, deeper flavor yeah it was you lose some of the meat because of the rind Mm -hmm. you do have to take that off but when you when i cut it off it was just a deep mahogany red color and you could almost just pull it apart with your fingers
3: i don't know the the term for it but i I have a friend or guy that comes up to our deer camp who's a butcher as well Mm -hmm. and he actually built like he framed two by four walls and insulated this little, yeah it looks like a closet, and then he bought an old vending machine off of Craigslist, <laughs> took the fan and the, mm-hmm. whatever, the refrigerant out of that, used same same principle, mm-hmm. just you can put a whole deer in it. That's awesome. We, we did the same thing with that. and Like you said, it was just deep, rich yep. mahogany, and there was something to, like, the grain of it almost looked more exposed. Mm-hmm interesting maybe you you know the terminology to that yeah
2: because at that point you're you're basically wicking moisture away from the animal and so all of those connections because even between muscle fibers like it's being held together and moisture is help making that tacky so the more that you're wicking away that moisture the looser those muscles are becoming now to a point though like, you're going into your fridge, and that's a great setup. You've been able to chill that down. The one thing that a lot of fridges don't give you the option to is to clean the coils mm-hmm. that are in the back. And you can get bad problems coming through that. You can get mold oh, yeah. that come through there. Oh, yep. right. It blows it in. Some guy's old beer fridge, you know, he it unplugs, and he doesn't realize it, and you know, fills full of mold. He sprays it out, throws it on Craigslist for an hour. Jared comes up. <laughs> so you're saying the <laughs> vending machine was me. a bad idea? Maybe. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, is be prepared for some sort of setup like that. And the method from that I got from a guy who did lambs. He had a very similar setup to what you were talking about, except he uses a cool bot. So he framed up this room, and this cool bot is basically a sensor override that you throw onto a. Like in in window AC unit, it oh, tricks sure. the thermostat. Yep. So basically, it's running super high, super long, yep. and keeping that condenser going. At some certain size window unit is what you, you can't use a small one. There, anyway, there's a whole thing that goes to that. But inside those AC unit un, units, it's still the same thing. You've got mold inside those coils. Yep. And as that wick song it ends up on the meat. So keeping a jug or a spray bottle of red wine vinegar. I say red wine vinegar. You could choose pretty much any what vinegar. About an apple a- cider? ACV, apple cider vinegar would mm-hmm. work. You're looking for the acid nice. at this point. But as you're hanging those in a fridge, or like this to do the dry age, sure. you spritz that down every couple days. Isn't that a wet age then? No, no, because you're still doing the process of dry aging. You are slowing the rate that your rind is going to be making. I see. Okay. For,
1: is that why you're spraying apple cider vinegar when you're smoking something, or is that totally- That's that for flavor. That's for flavor.
2: That's for yeah. flavor and Moisture. for smoke penetration. Gotcha. That, we can get into that in a little bit, because again, there's there's two camps on that. Yeah. But with the, adding the acid to the outside of a like leg quarter that you're hanging there to dry age, you're going to be able to- Basically, keep that surface from getting mold on it. You're killing spores mm-hmm. that are landing on it, and then you're preventing spores from grabbing hold as it's now has acid on there. But at the same time, what you're slowing down is that pedicle or that rind from forming by adding just a spritz. You're not soaking it. A wet sure. age is actually the wet comes from inside the meat. You're not actually adding moisture to do this wet age. That's literally the juice that's inside, or purge is what they call that. Okay. Mm. The dry age is your purge is basically evaporated. So it's just a different method. Both work. And in fact, I would be hard-pressed to have you eat a piece of dry age versus wet age and and be able to know the difference. Now, where dry age gets its sex appeal is like what you're talking, that deep, red, robust look Mm -hmm. to it. Now, again... Because we have critters that are running around not eating just corn, not just eating grain, there is a and there's an aroma, a richness that comes off that, especially when you do a dry age like that. Like you bust open that fridge, mm-hmm. and it's like the most alluring smell that you could ever get. Almost it, like
0: a cheese. Yes. Like a cheese smell. Mm-hmm.
2: Your setup is great, and I would just say maybe add that quick acidic spritz, especially when you try to go for... A little bit longer.
0: I tried bleach, but it didn't turn out very well. get <laughs> <laughs> COVID, I
1: think, right? Right.
0: Uh, Jared, you're uh, you're dry aging. How long are you dry aging? I did a 14 day dry aging. Yep. They say typically what 10, seven to 10, you can do it, but you can push to 21, or I don't know the exact days.
2: Normal beef is done at 21 days. Yep. And then from there, you'll have some of these. Different butchers or restaurants take it further. For venison, in fact, I even got some validation. This is my own mindset of it, but at the same time, I got validation from another podcast, what I would refer to as, I guess, the mothership would be Meat Eater. Mm -hmm. They had a meat scientist on there, and he talked about how the most effective, like the most work that's being done. As far as aging, as far mm-hmm. as the tenderness being done is going to be from after rigor mortis to about that 10 to 14 days that you were talking about. Okay. That the most work is happening as far as, like if you were to look at a graph, there would be a high spike in enzyme work and yep. tenderness being had. And then after that 14 day, everything slows down
1: so it's not really right uh, you can take it to 21 days but at the same
2: time you're not going to tell the difference like once you've cleaned that off and you have those two pieces of meat from 14 to 21 you would it would be a minuscule i shouldn't say a minuscule but it'd be a small bit of change versus day three to day 14 you would see a large difference between the two of those
3: what is the meat loss on that roughly if you were if you were to do that with a quarter yeah.
2: if you were to do that with a quarter, it depends on how where your humidity was so like you know Jared's putting a, a humidifier in his his setup there in his in his curing chamber mm-hmm. and he's able to keep that the, the humidity in there at a high rate you know he's spritzing with the, the vinegar. <laughs> no not bleach. <laughs> Keeps it clean. We're going to tell that for the listeners. You know what? Don't use bleach. You're going to hit her with
3: some lemon Lysol.
2: Now, if it's, if it's <laughs> ringworm, back from my wrestling it's days, use bleach? the bleach. Yeah. <laughs> but if he's spritzing it, at that point, you're going to have a small rind, and it's not going to be very much. It's literally going to be that outside of it. I would say sub 10%. Okay. as far okay. as total weight of it. So it's kind of a mute point. It it's a mute point especially for like a quarter like that. Yeah. Now, you dry age a boneless backstrap. Not happening. You're going to it that long anyway. Yeah. Right. You're going to find that you're taking off a lot of rind, you're taking off the rind and basically your once glorious backstrap is down to the size of what the tenderloin was.
0: I did that. A Jared, if
2: you
1: will. I
0: did that. It was a considerable amount. You did? You, yeah, yeah you I did. did. I just I want I just wanted to try it all. Yeah. I did all, all four good, though, quarters and then the two back straps. Those were phenomenal. I'm sure. Pretty they were awesome. Tender. But like you're saying, there's, I mean, you're talking about maybe a quarter to a half inch of rind. Or Especially
2: just, the longer that you go, yep. the thicker that rind gets. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can get, and now, granted, we're in a position where we're, we're simply doing a, a hanging age. We're not taking things to where it's really fermenting because there is a, there's a whole science behind that. And that's where people get into say, like, oh, I'm going to dry age this for a super long period of time and get what some of these restaurant qualities, some of these Michelin star restaurants are doing. And it's really difficult to do because it is a, it's like a bonsai tree. You have to, you have to baby this thing yeah. every single day. And there's a lot of control that has to happen. And so it's best to leave that to the professionals. There are products that do make it helpful for the, the consumer, or the the home butcher. Now, I did my experiment with a Umai dry bag.
0: I've heard of those. Yeah. How was
2: it? You can get these things online, and it's basically a vac bag. So if you have a vacuum sealer or Mm -hmm. a chamber vac, which those things are wicked sweet, Mm -hmm. you basically put your meat in, seal it. I I tried it on a piece of domestic, and actually I got a select cut. I didn't even go for the prime. I went select and I got a bone-in ribeye, and okay. I was prepping this for my wife's birthday. Nice. And I was going to put a 45-day age on this piece of meat. Wow, that's, that's, that's planning. That's why I required the Umai dry bag. What this bag does is it basically you vac-seal it around it, and it creates a membrane. It it seals itself to the meat mm-hmm. and creates a basically a layer that doesn't let anything in, but allows moisture to come
3: out. Okay. So is the bag the rind at that point? That yeah, just the gonna bag ask. acts as the rind. Now Science. the yeah,
2: inside actually. you do have to peel uh, you do have to cut off rind. That okay. I mean that's an inevitable thing that is yep. going to happen. But it acts as a protective layer or a rind that you place on top of it.
3: Okay.
2: That allows the moisture to wick out from that. I again opened that up and it is I I had to cut the bones out. And I had to take that rind off. But just like Jared was talking about, I exposed almost like a purple of this beef. That 45 was there. days, though? 45 days. Mm-hmm. What, I started you... it in That's some Vegas. January. Wow. Right and it, my wife's birthday is in March. So it was like those three, three and a half months that I really just put this into the fridge and it required me to using the bag required me to roll it like every couple days just to make sure that i wasn't getting any spots that weren't able to let moisture come out so you roll it and check it to make sure that you haven't lost seal or that it something was going wrong because at that point you want to just abort it if you you see mold growing underneath it like abort cut that off have it then right But I was going to push it. I was going to really try my hardest to get there. And this is the point where I, I didn't have a charcoal grill. I mm-hmm. had a gas grill. And this is where the story gets really sad. <sighs> oh, no. I cut these beautiful steaks and put them onto the grill. I had them all seasoned up nice. It was going to be wonderful. And I closed that hood. Something distracted me. Oh, I no. forget what it was. But I walked away. And when I came back and I look out, I see flames lick, flare. licking uh, out from the lid. I flip it up. And my beautiful, amazing dry aged ribeye steaks were charcoal. No, oh, you hate this. Oh yeah, I was looking at well done, Hank. So, so that's my smite you. Yeah. Oh yeah, Punch me square. <laughs> he's in the rolling face. around in his <laughs> grave. Right now, at the same time, he might even just say, "You Whoa. know what? You learned your lesson. You get to eat it." And I did. Was I it ate. Okay. Ate. It was okay. Yeah.
4: Are you it gonna do try okay? it again? <laughs> I, I'm try still.
2: Again. I, I have to try it again. You I have haven't to. gone that far yet. But I learned a lot from that. One of those lessons: a, don't walk away from your grill. Yeah. But number two, how much quicker your meat is going to cook. Because so, it's dry. Because it is dry. Yeah. aged. it is dry. So if this is a route you're going to want to go, check your times if you're going to be putting it in the oven or if you're going to be doing it on the grill. Why'd don't you walk choose away grill?
1: Why'd you choose grill over like an oven or a smoke or?
2: Because I wanted. wanted the lines, I wanted man. steak. Grill. Wanted grill. I wanted Asian,
1: yeah. yeah that classic at that line. Yeah, I get you.
2: I was really working at it. You know, you have progression as you go through, and that was one thing that really was the outdoor cooking style really just really resonated with me, and that's where yep. it was like, yeah, like you said, Hank Hill, like being well, the dad, an being the man. Point. Yeah, You got
3: is. three months into that thing. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> a commitment. A have didn't. you ever done, like, and this is kind of off topic, so kick me out if I'm kind of skipping all over here, but we, we were just at Total Archery Challenge in Montana, and there's this company called Birch Barrel. There. They make these weird kind of cylinder things. grills, and but they're they, like
1: a fireplace too. Kinda. They they
3: are. They're and I, I'm going to do a terrible job of describing them, but it's basically like this. It looks like a giant. Matt's pulling up a picture here.
1: Yeah, it's like a tripod. It, yeah, maybe part a of the reason it was okay, so cool yeah. is because she was cooking. That. She she's gorgeous, <laughs> but. <Nice. laughs>
3: But It's always the chick that sells it. I am the t- so easily marketed to. <laughs> I'm going to buy that dumb $900 grill now. Yeah. But uh, they were taking full, I think that one was a full mule deer quarter, hind quarter, putting it on that thing. Is there that, for whatever reason, just the allure of having a whole stinking leg on there. It's like just, Fred it's Flintstone. cool. It's primitive. Yeah. yeah, I've always wanted to do like that with, like you see guys doing a, a pig whole pig a whole deer
2: on a spit just rolling like, over the fire i want to shoot
3: a spike horn that i don't have to worry about the antlers and just put a whole spike horn skull and everything big devil yep. tines hanging up yeah do something like, i think that'd be cool but scale down something like that just a hind quarter yeah what's yeah. a good way to prep a hind quarter to cook it whole on a badass grill like that because that's something i want to do this year that's a cool gotcha yeah
2: that's a great question i would first like as you're as you get your deer, we talked about this earlier, uh, there is that gland that's in the inside. I've seen and that's gross. You don't it. And like yes. yeah. you don't have to cut into a muscle. What they refer to that as seam butchery, and that's going to help you find that. If there's a, there's a definite seam where you can slide your knife in, get to the femur without actually breaking apart the muscles, and on the inside there is where you're going to find that glob of gland or whatever that is. You almost is don't even it.
3: need to cut you can kinda of run your hand in there and break yeah, that. Once you
2: group break up. that yeah, once you break that connective tissue with the with the blade, i I mean you're only using the quarter quarter inch at the, the tip of the blade to just mm-hmm. make that incision. And then like you said, put your hand in, you can then be able to grab that out. Tying it is gonna be a good thing and that's where you're basically taking a cotton string and tying rounds Using a slip knot. They have that yep. on that one. Yep, slide yep. that in, and what you're basically doing at that point is holding that together from having a certain piece just fall off right, in the cause fire because it's breaking down. It, it's yeah. breaking down at that point. So tying that together and then having some way that you can, at that point, evenly cook it. Where if I, I didn't get a good look at the picture, but it looked like there was like a it was a deeper vessel. Yeah, well, you want to look at this It picture. could be submerged down in there. <laughs> And as it's in there, you can then roll it over and be able to be able to have that cook. Oh yeah, I see where the top then goes down on top of this thing. Mm-hmm. See that point, you're having more of a not only like direct heat hitting it, but you're having that convection inside yeah. of that. Yeah, I could see why you'd buy that from her.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's why usually, <laughs> uh, you know, that's very interesting. Uh, I, I have a totally different question for you now that we're it's Q and A time. I've heard of you skin the face of the deer, the head. You, you bury it in char, you bury it in coals, and tin foil wrapped in cotton and wet cotton, and, and let it cook that way. You ever tried anything like that?
2: I have not. I have had beef cheek. Yeah. And I have pork cheek. Yeah. It is delicious. So good. It's so, it's so. amazing. I want
3: to try it on a deer. It's very light. It's like pinkish, isn't it? Um, I'm just trying to. Very think
2: of- gelatinous. There's a lot of connective tissue because it is. there's the small muscles that are up moving the jaw. There's a lot of connective in there, and that just... Jolt. I mean, it's, it's, like it's so velvety. Yeah. I would equate it to shank-like after a slow cook. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The only hurdle that you have living here in Michigan is the whole CWD thing. Yeah, that's... You are very close to the brain. You are very close to bone on this one. As much as I would say, dude, have at it, it would be one of those where... The other part too is if you you have to submit the head in order to have it tested. Right. It can't even be one of those like, well, can I have that head back if it's a right. negative? <laughs> it's <too late. laughs> or excuse me, if it's not a positive, there right. is no. If it is yeah. not a positive, can I have that head back? And the state of Michigan says no. Nah. After it's so, rolled around
1: in a wooden box that it checks. Yeah, the those exactly. weird boxes. You drop them off. Have you ever dropped them off at one of those? Yeah, yeah it's gross in there. Heads, <laughs> just deer heads. <laughs> it's gross.
2: Yeah, I, I it's kind of a, I mean, it's it's probably a new normal now. It's as far as yeah, don't it say is. those things. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's like a new normal. Yeah. Sorry, it's not normal. I would you a say it's probably part of the traditional way things are going to be happening yeah. as far as like because that's a glorious thing. I'm I grew up in a non hunting family and it was all agriculture at that point. I'm the only hunter in my group in my family basically. Yeah. My brother has a bow, he dabbles with it, but at the same time he didn't even he hasn't gone out in several years. Right. Being the one that doesn't have necessarily a hunt camp or something where people get together and just talk about hunting. Like there's these little tidbits that I have that really get me excited and one of those things is like a check station. Yeah. And now that like on a day where I get it, like I do, I have to, I get to go, I get to sack up the head, put that down. There's just another like memento tag that I get to put sure. on the yeah, head there, it. keep that tab. So I can see how that, in in my eye, as much as it is a headache, I think it just kind of fills into the same lore that we're creating with our Michigan traditions, yeah. or even you could say Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, depending where you're at. But it's just one more thing to add in there as far as, you know, oh, now it's, hey, little Jimmy got his first deer, now he gets to go take the head to. Like I'll I always said, that. little
0: Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that was unintentional, it. <laughs> I like it. Well, you, you're welcome back anytime. <laughs>
3: what do you do with rib meat?
2: Now rib meat's fun. That has been my that has been my Moby Dick. That is my white whale. Ooh, the Be- tomahawk. Uh, I've done the tomahawk, the and blanket? well, I'll is go. That way you roll
1: it up. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. yeah, I call it a rib roll. Okay,
2: where I'll actually take off the whole side and I'll bone out the rib cage and I'm left with like you said a blanket yeah. yeah. at that point I roll it up and tie it sear all sides of it and That's then I'll slow
3: one big piece
2: but it's all rolled up like a roll or right. a pinwheel
1: like a what are those tacos that are rolled that you get to gas stations there you go Yes, yeah. sir.
2: slow roast it that way and then I immediately pull it out of the slow roaster and with asbestos fingers and trying to just get through as much of that heat as possible I roll it in plastic wrap and then throw it in the freezer Okay. And that whole thing will then solidify. And it takes thirty to well, it takes a little longer than that because you are having it at temperature. You can leave it overnight. But then basically when I pull that out, I basically have between the well the fat the bad fat, the waxy fat that you get off venison has been rendered and it's not necessarily clumped all onto this piece of meat now. You've you've basically ridded that meat of the waxy yeah. fat. I'll then slice that into a eh, quarter to a half inch slice, and then you again go back to your pan, sear on both sides. And I tell you that with eggs is the best meal, the best use that I've got for using ribs. Yeah. At that point, mm-hmm. it does take you to have a not complete pass through or using a back section yeah, of your rib. Yeah, that's what I Yep. Yeah. Because if you have a pass through, there's a there's the first part of your rib cage that you can't use. Yep. But I've also liked to make, and this I've done these for like special occasions because there is a lot of technicality to it. There's a lot of knife, like small knife work with it. But I'll then cut an individual rib, but I keep as much of the meat on the outside of it mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Run my blade along the bone to then basically peel that meat off. I roll it up, tie it up, and it's like a... Reminiscent of like a lollipop at that point. It's still with this like blanket idea where I've rolled it. Yeah. But now I have that all rolled up at the end of the rib. What? I've seen them do these with beef short ribs where okay. they cut it and fold it over and then do it that way. But with a with venison, it's small. So you do that same roll, season it, do whatever you want to with that, yeah. put it on a slow roast, pull them out and then I hit him hard on a sear right before I serve, put on some barbecue sauce, and it's literally a venison lollipop that they just bite that circle off. That blew my mind just now. That's crazy. I'll have to forward some pictures to you. Yes, It is one of those, like, it's got to be a forward thought that you thought about this, and it's definitely one of those, like, not one of those, like, oh, I kind of want to do a special meal. It's like, no, no, I want to blow their mind. Yeah. <laughs> you probably know
3: this is going to happen before you even shoot this deer. Like, next year I shoot, this is happening. Yeah, there's a yes. lot. That- <laughs> I
2: normally don't shoot the head, but if I happen to shoot the yeah, head, right, right, this right. is exactly what I would <laughs> <Right>. do.
3: <laughs> no, I've
1: tried that before where you take, like, a I took, like, a snips, and I cut the ribs right by the, the spine. I rolled it. I did the fridge thing, too. Um, I mean, there's just not a lot of meat on it, but it's, you can you get that fat off. It's pretty freaking good
2: it is and again it's like sheet muscles at that point so you know they're not they're not thick they're not robust that i mean they're literally a cover and it allows the rib cage to expand and contract mm-hmm. so giving them a heat treat is really like they will be tender at some point yeah on that now you keep everything together, the, the layers of fat in there, it's It's going to be a problem. It's going to be something you have to work past. There's not to say there's nothing wrong with burger. I love burger. My family goes through a lot of burger, but just those ribs, That it's been my... Because somebody told me at one point the only good way to use ribs is ground, you had to go. I'm like, you know what? That's why you're shooting a longbow right now. That's why I'm shooting the (laughs) (laughs) longbow. Somebody said to shoot a recurve, you said I'm going
3: longbow, idiot. (laughs) Of all the cuts, and this is probably similar for most people, but I find myself at, at the end of the summer, like I am right now, with trying to find different ways to use burger. Like mm-hmm. I have no problem burning through my steaks, I have no problem burning through my roast. And same thing with the ribs. Like I've tried to find different ways not to use that as burger. Mm-hmm. And I did something similar, right? Just take it into the, the blanket, cut strips of it, actually fry up steak, peppers, and onions, and wrap it up in that pan syrup, boom, yeah. boom. It's I like, like that. a little redneck jalapeno popper thing. <laughs> but what do you do outside of burgers, tacos, stuffed peppers that you do with burger that might be different? Burger bores the hell out of me. Yeah, it, it, it does. It can get boring. It's good to have. It right, is good it's to handy. have. It is
2: handy. I'm trying to think of something outside the box, but at the same time burger is is meant to be in it's the box. Burger. It yeah. is it is the week. It is the midweek meal. Like you yeah. can yep. you can fry up burgers and you can have them for the next 3 days or you can make I would say probably chili. That would probably be my like home run because that stuff I'm I'm a leftovers guy. Oh yeah. So yeah. like a big pot of chili to some people, looks like oh, I gotta eat this for the next three days, and I'm like, hell yeah, yeah it's gonna cooking. get better with the next three days. That's right.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, we've been doing tacos. Like, well, I feel like two, three times a week when, when you know we're busy, you throw some cumin and stuff and some in some ground beef and like on a salad, like it goes a pretty far away. But I feel like something interesting you can do with it is like um, you can make sausages, right? Can oh, you? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I mean, at least that's or
2: like a brat.
3: Can you take burger down to a brat? Or oh yeah, just yeah. re it again? You just you would
2: just run it through and I would say keep it at the same grind size that you've got it in. So let's say you put it in at eighth inch grind. I wouldn't say you have to go or excuse me, at a quarter inch grind. Yeah. I wouldn't say you'd have to go to then the eighth inch grind. You don't have to go smaller. You don't have to go smaller. At some point you are gonna be making the the pieces smaller. You you are going to be taking it further down to a finer grind, yeah. but at the same time, having maybe a little finer broth might not be such a bad deal anyway. No. Add a binder in there, add your seasonings, and away away you go. Having a good stuffer is Our always a, a good thing. I
0: need a stuffer. You got one this year, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. I just got a LEM. Lem? Uh, lem? The no, lem. I don't know. Whatever. It's a little five pounds, all stainless, so it uh, works pretty well. I'm pretty pumped to use it. But to answer your question, Joe, one thing that I've been doing with ground, mm. and it's a little... It's a little tedious, in the process, but it's making pot stickers. If you're like a okay, mm. in like a Asian cuisine type lover, mm-hmm. which I am, you're practically just taking ground, mixing it with like a, a little soy, maybe ginger, mixing it all up, and then you're putting it in those wonton wrappers, sealing them up, and frying them. And it's it's bomb. So it sounds good. I, yeah, awesome. yeah, I, I You
2: picked that up. You were just talking earlier. You were stationed in Japan. Is that yeah. where you picked that up?
0: No, I, I fell in love. With the Asian cuisine there, more or less the, like the sushi from Japan. Gotcha. Which I tried a ton of different stuff over there. Raw horse was one of the, one oh, of the yeah. things we tried. Yep. Really? Was it yeah. good? It wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> it it's, not, it's not not was not going to write home about it? No, it was definitely, um, definitely an acquired taste. It was just kind of different.
3: Have you done anything no. with raw deer or any raw game at all? Nothing yet. No. No.
0: Dude, I
1: eat the I ate behind the eye. You
0: did. We were butchering that deer up and we ate Is it that pizza fat? dough? Yeah, it
1: was just like didn't really have much of a taste. I was like chewing on it, waiting for
0: something, something
1: special but, to happen. But I feel like what I've heard it done with is not whitetail. It's caribou. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm sure there's a different flavor. I tried it the the white tail, the Michigan <laughs> version of
3: it. I'm going caribou hunting next year, so I'm hoping. Are you really? Yeah. Holy definitely, definitely range. Try it. Are you really? Yep.
1: You got room? for me you throw me in your uh your pack and uh, carry I, me
3: we're serious about it we actually do right now Oh, that jared. Would be, no i feel like bow. the caribou no, <laughs> eye no socket no every, every bow hunter needs three th- three things patience perseverance and a rifle on a <laughs> 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 you're uh, not taking that damn stick bow <laughs> jared i'm gonna need to borrow your bow <sighs> you're gonna borrow a rifle <laughs> yeah and by bow i we're mean we're coming back with
0: caribou <laughs> seven mil so guys let's kind of cap this night off and we're each gonna go around, yep, and give our one recipe that we're gonna try this season with oh. the animal that we hope to harvest. Nick, I'm gonna start with you. Oh, good.
2: Oh man. <laughs> so everybody's heard of the asobuco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as like everybody looks forward to backstraps, everyone looks forward to tenderloins. Like the shanks have found the warmest place in my heart. Oh, I love okay. Utah shanks. comfort food. That is where it's at. Between even like with a beef, beef shank or even a beef oxtail, like the stew that is made from that is just incredible.
1: Mm, I love it. Jimmy knows all soup. about the oxtail he, he soup. Did, I feel like a lot of people I'll tell them about oxtail soup, they don't think that's a thing. Oh, it's, like it's definitely a it's, thing. It's definitely I a feel thing. like it's a Dutch maybe it's a Dutch thing. I've never heard,
3: that, heard of that before in my life. Oh, it's You've never s- heard t- an ox it, 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 Yeah. It's <laughs>
2: well, freaking amazing. <laughs> well, first man. off, oxes or steers have tails. Yeah. And this is basically the continuation of that all the way down. So when you get it, there's there's basically meat, small pieces of meat surrounded by a large amount of fat and connective tissue and the marrow and the inside. And so these little discs, they look very similar to the shanks that you sear both sides, throw them in a crock pot, and just let them stew down, whatever, whatever liquid you have in there. Basically, they just start to fall off that vertebrae. Yeah. And it just turns into the most velvety.
3: The fat and everything stays on. Well, the little little fat all, renders that, out. Fat okay. becomes Hums these
2: in. this... Uh, <sighs> It's just so – it's gelatinous. It's
3: thick. So it's not a a tart, chalky fat like you'd see? No, no. This is like where you just want
2: to keep slurping. It's like you get the the, uh, marrow in there too and stuff.
1: It's Mm -hmm. freaking good.
2: Yeah, it's definitely like a a liquid at that point. Oh, it's just – it's unforgettable. So, yeah, listeners, if you've not tried oxtail.
1: Is it Dutch? Is that why? I, my grandma always made it. That's how I knew about it's it. It's old
2: world. I wouldn't say it's just Dutch, but okay. it's it's just old world nope, because it's all it. over. We're,
1: cla- we're, we're claiming The it. Dutch will claim it. Yeah. You're welcome.
2: They put a flag <laughs> in everything, don't yeah. they? They even take land that's not theirs. They're building walls out in the ocean and yeah, then draining it out. See, it's no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's exactly right. All so, right, so you're going. Um, so I'm
2: going the asobuco, but I'm not going with necessarily the like Italian mainland I'm going to go with the Sicilian Tuscan oh. side of wow. it and nice it's thin. a it's a red wine black pepper like it's really like a peppered beef at that point yep. or a peppered venison at that point so you not only are you in your liquid mostly red wine you've already treated your shanks You've cut them down into the rounds. Mm -hmm. You could throw a whole shank in there if you wanted to, I guess. But anyway, you've hit that with salt, and you've hit that with coarse pepper. Mm. Into the liquid goes whole cloves or whole kernels of black pepper that are in there, bay leaf. And it's pretty much simply just that, salt, pepper, bay leaf. Nest those all inside that, let that thing go down. And that black pepper, It just it's not... Necessarily like a capsaicin hot. Yeah. But it's definitely like a A warm heat. It's a warm heat that a hits warm you. There's a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just like with those octale, oxtails, that wine gets all the alcohol out of it and it thickens up. Mm-hmm. And then the addition of all that connective tissue just creates I mean, it's a real thick, it's almost a sauce at that point. Yeah. To have something that's not so much acidically tomato or just with the mirepoix of the onion. And the pepper, which is also which is great, but at the same time, switching that up and going with something that's spicy, warm, you throw that on a bed of mashed potatoes, and, man, that Forget is... Forget about it. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the dog <laughs> days of January being in wintertime. That warms you up right there. That's yeah, some
3: like comfort that. for you. I feel like I need it's a nap spying. after just hearing it's your spying, yeah. <laughs> The way he's just like... I'm getting the sleepies, you know. a
0: bed of... Warm mashed potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> I could go lay in so one of those. I haven't smoked in years, but give me a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dri- drippy butter. All right, Joe.
3: So mine's far less exotic and romantic as that, but I was lucky enough to draw a tag in Montana, the same area that I hunted last year. Yeah. And there is a glassing point in the lookout rock we call it pride rock because it looks like pride rock nice. freaking lion king do you it's, hold your binos out every once in a while we've taken all kinds of weird pictures yeah. <laughs> of this no joe holds the other person out yeah that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah matt was hanging over the edge <laughs> but something that's super important to me when i shoot an elk is to have that first meal be right there and mm, i've cool. actually found something that i really enjoy doing is cooking on a piece of shale rock so cool. building a fire putting a shale rock on there getting that thing piping hot. Just hit it both sides and eat it. I did that with my first elk, and unfortunately, my elk last year was such terrible conditions mm. that was scary in a nutshell. But wasn't able to do that last year, so that's like something that's super important to me, is especially with that specific area. Like I, when we were scouting there the other day, I saw a rock, and I'm like, ah, that's the rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, super important to me, and it's there's no seasoning, no nothing. It's just meat. Flash, flash. I love the that. The first yeah. meal. Yeah, some of the so, best
1: meals we've had were stuff we like. Uh, tur- I think of like a, tur- a meal we had a turkey. Yeah. Just grab some uh, ramps, you know. Wild leeks. Wild yep. leeks, you know, and, and some turkey that we just shot and just eat it together. And it's like.
3: There's something spiritual about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like. You can't describe that to somebody unless they've been a part of it. Even if it's not your animal, just to cease s- the fruits of your labor. Right there. Instantly next to a carcass it's it's uh, to describe it in one word right yeah exactly it's like (laughs) holy crap
1: yeah i like that that's a good one that's a good one all right i have one it's not new well it's i'm gonna do it again and do it right i'm going to be swampy michigan oysters 2.0 oh okay if you guys are catching what i'm putting down
3: assuming those are testicles balls okay yeah. (laughs) yeah
1: i made them once two years ago and i i cooked them too hot or too fast i think
2: they and blew they, up like popcorn.
1: They didn't pop. They. Yeah, all of a sudden they get real firm. They kind of like, f- like it's real cold out, and then they. It's like the they, opposite of blue balls. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the weirdest thing, and they're really good. But I, I like, I think the first time I didn't, ex- I feel like I didn't appreciate them very much because they tasted good. It was just like the shock of having testicles,
3: yeah. busted balls, all busted in, balls, all up in your mouth,
1: all up in your mouth. <laughs> I knew. You could. I want to try it again and do it better. And everybody else thought I was so like gross, but. I think we posted, but we got some fairly yeah. positive mm-hmm. feedback about it. Would like to try it again. So it's really almost as romantic as yours, Nick, but <laughs> in a very different, yes. different erotic way. The way. It's I feel like the table. you went yeah, about it right. all
2: wrong. You went too hard at the beginning. You know, it's got to be a slow. You got to set the mood. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, slow heat. So yeah. they don't. I've never
1: Should've been one, I've never been one for foreplay. <laughs> so. Getting right to the point. Yeah, of it, uh, that's of What's right. going down? I'm balls in my balls. All right, Jared, you know, bring uh, us home, man. Hopefully
3: y- it's not a special meal that comes close to the taint like the <laughs> yeah. last time. The chuckle, if you will.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm actually going to go sort of your route where I did it wrong the first time. Okay. And I'm going to circle it around and try it again. And I think the little meal that Nick brought this evening kind of tipped the scales on it. So I'm going to attempt the pastrami again. Ooh. Uh, my, my first go around, I had it brining outside because it was still winter. And it was at actually at a, a nice temperature, but it actually warmed up too warm while I was away from work. And I global think it, warming. I think it went a little rancid. Yeah, Ugh. yeah. I hate to see um, it. So it didn't turn out that well. So I would like to either get a good recipe. Maybe I'll get with you and yeah. your, your method and now your, I know your who crust to bug.
3: Recipe. Yeah. So that one was pretty perfect. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So awesome. I'll, yeah. I'll, that's what I kind of want to do.
2: I I found well I was inside doing mine, but I do I find with if. You know, seeing exactly what happened to you, Mm -hmm. I could see how that definitely did not turn out the way you wanted to. But I did find like using that cut and using this recipe, it really is a very user friendly thing. As long as you're staying on top of it, there's nothing that's out of the world complicated about it. And if you're willing to, you know, just kind of do a little research, and this is for listeners too, if you just do a little research on how much salt you want to put in, if you want to use cure to really get the redness and to help with your bacterial growth, just really research on on your your cure use. You do not need a whole lot of that. It's, I mean, a minuscule amount to get what you're looking for. Hmm. But, yeah, it's a very user-friendly recipe given controlled, you know, conditions.
0: Not user friendly to me. No.
2: <laughs> Not when you throw it outside. Yeah, <laughs> it gets. Warm you know, I then. thought
0: I'd use it well, you outside get, to my advantage, and it just didn't. You get play like well. a sixty-degree January. I mean, who sees that
1: coming?
3: Nobody yeah. sees it. Yeah, you hate happen. to see it. You hate to see it. At least you didn't bust a nut. (laughs) And on that note, thank you guys for joining the
1: podcast. Man, uh, we spent a whole night recording uh, in front of a fire, picking your brains for various things. So can't tell you how much we appreciate you doing it.
2: Thank you. Back to you guys. It's been a ton of fun.
1: All right, guys. Well, join us next week. We'll have some more meat talk for you, led by Jared and all his uh, meat ideas. So come back again soon.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you guys like what you hear and want to follow along and what we're currently up to, hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and follow us on Instagram, at Bogahunting. Join us next week, and we'll see you then.